All praises to the Most High and the Most High only. I'm your host, Brownson Arabiji. I'm bringing to you another episode of The Narrow Path of the Righteous. The Most High put it on my spirit to speak on the topic of drugs and this topic is important to me because there's a lot of confusion behind drugs and what drugs really are and you know just from our upbringing many people in their minds have an idea of what drugs are according to what the government told them according to what they were taught in school or seen in the media or heard on the news or saw firsthand with a family member, a friend, a colleague, a stranger. And while there is truth to a lot of what we were taught about drugs, there's also a lot of deception behind drugs. And we're going to do a deep dive into the various forms of drugs and how they've been weaponized against humanity and we're going to do a deep dive and shine a spotlight on the culprits the ones who've created these drugs manufactured these drugs and the ones that serve these drugs up to the world because you best believe there's a lot more to this story than we're led to believe And let's take a look at the definition of a drug. There's a few definitions that I've gathered. A chemical substance such as a narcotic or hallucinogen that affects the central nervous system, causing changes in behavior and often addiction. Something and often an illegal substance that causes addiction habituation or a marked change in consciousness a substance used in the diagnosis treatment or prevention of a disease or as a component of a medication such a substance as recognized or defined by the u.s food drug and cosmetic act and synonyms include cure medicament medication medicinal medicine pharmaceutical psychic remedy specific and so you know it's very interesting how we'll get basically two different sets of definitions for drugs you know the first one is very basic and i believe most of us who went through the indoctrination system of education would recognize this first definition and know it to be true you know a chemical substance such as an narcotic or hallucinogen that affects the central nervous system causing changes in behavior and often addiction you know and many of us can recognize that definition and be like yeah yeah that's a drug but how many people have taken into consideration 
when they use the definition of a substance used in the diagnosis, treatment, or prevention of a disease or as a component of a medication. You know, many people are on drugs daily and they may not recognize it. And these same people are going to look down on the people who they call junkies and addicts. You know, they're going to look at somebody who smokes marijuana or drinks alcohol or, you know, does harder drugs like heroin or methamphetamine as, you know, the scum of the earth. All while that same person is being a hypocrite and they're on a plethora of other drugs such as caffeine or any over-the-counter medications or even prescription medications. You see, this world is heavily dosed on drugs. And this world has definitely been affected by drugs which have caused changes in overall societal behavior which has caused further addiction. You know, drugs are something that are around us all the time. Drugs are sold right in front of our eyes. You know, there's a Starbucks near my place. That's a drugstore. It's a business fronting as a, a coffee shop. But they sell drugs to you. You know, no different than the McDonald's across the street from my house. They sell drugs. And people would yell at you and argue and say how can you say fast food is selling drugs well look at that food because it's a chemical substance that food you're eating the so-called food is all chemical based all lab based so yes it is a drug and yes there's addictive properties to it you can't sit here and argue and tell me that starbucks is not addicting to half of the people especially americans especially middle class americans you can't sit here and tell me Starbucks is not addicting when I've seen people, I've worked with people who will go out and buy four, five, six, seven dollar coffees per day and still have that so-called 2 p.m. crash. You know, I remember at my first ever entry level job being in the office and I remember how shocked I was. Once I realized how big the addiction to caffeine was, you know, our company would always buy caribou coffee in bulk, right? We would get the boxes and they would keep it in, you know, the common area where if you were in the company first, if you came, if you entered the building first, typically the nice thing to do was to set the coffee for people, right? Or get rid of the old coffee from the, the previous day. And I rem vividly remember how people were acting when we realized that we didn't get the caribou shipment in and people were cursing people were upset people left the office to go to starbucks or go to the nearby mom and pops coffee shop and that was eye-opening to me it was like these people couldn't even go a few hours without it and it's no different than the food we eat you can't tell me that people are not addicted to fast food when i see it with my own two eyes because those chemicals in that fast food are, have addictive properties to them. So we're going to do a deep dive into drugs and we're going to look at it through the lens of righteousness and, you know, start from the beginning and always like to start from any esoteric or mythological connections as well as the history of drugs. 
according to the neurorambling.wordpress.com article entitled when sumerians sumerian gods got high to rule the world drugs and mythology published on november 17 2017 Nowadays, the word drugs always evokes a laugh when said in an everyday conversation. We don't associate it with the treatment of diseases straight away, but more with recreational use. Natural drugs extracted from plants have been used for a long, long time. And although the most reported cases of drug use are related to medicinal treatment, in this post, I will tell you my two favorite stories about the use of drugs in other ways throughout mythology. And pay attention to how the author mentioned, you know, natural drugs extracted from plants. Because, you know, in the, in the episode of healthcare, in the series of healthcare, I think I have had two episodes on healthcare, we break this down. We break down pharmacy and we break down the deception of pharmacy. You know, when you really think about this world, we were given everything natural and these entities these bloodlines the ones that are running the show the worldwide stage they've taken everything that's natural and they've turned it into a synthetic drug but let's take a look at how some of these so-called ancient civilizations use natural remedies the sumerians and their joy plant the Sumerians are considered the most ancient human civilization, and they lived in the region of Mesopotamia, now the Middle East region, for about 3,000 years. They were also the pioneers of many things, like temple construction, the creation of the wheel, the first known writing system, and of course the first reported use of drugs in both the medicinal and recreational aspects. The decryption of the cuneiform script in the 20s enabled people to read clay ta tables with written information dating from as long as 5000 BC. And in one of those tables found in a town called Nupur, the Sumerians mentioned Hulgil, or joy plant, which most authors agree that refers to the opium poppy plant. Although little information is presented in the scripts about the preparation of the opium drink, they reported the euphoric effects of this drug. And so that's interesting. You know, I don't ever listen to any of the timelines they give us, you know, 3000 years ago, 5000 BC. You know, I, I definitely feel in my heart of hearts that, you know, the, the world is not that old, maybe 3000 years max, three to 5000 years max. But this whole BC stuff, you got to be careful with what they're telling us the opium plant also was represented in art and associated to god mythology some people have reported the story of the goddess ninshubar which appears in some wall sculptures sculptures harvesting something similar to the opium plant this goddess sometimes appears represented next to a seated woman that seemed to morphed into a pouring jar and cup suggesting it could be a personification the joy drink from the wall art it is thought that the goddess ninshubur the mediator between heaven and earth 
could have been using the joy plant to regulate the universe in a harmonious manner. As the iconography regarding her and the drink disappeared in a later in a latter period when the cult of her image diminished. You know, that's interesting because I really want to crack into the past, these civilizations. You know, it is questionable whether they're real, but I definitely know that they've used different civilizations, different ancient so-called texts and teachings from ancient civilizations that have copied and pasted them to modern day. We already know that by now. So it makes me curious as to what natural remedies were the people really using? You know, we understand that the Most High has given us everything that we need. The Creator has. Everything that we need on this earth is already here. We've just decided to trade all of that in for the man-made ways. Not even so much man-made ways, the entity-made ways that have destroyed us because everything is perverted and inverted in this system. You should know that by now. So it makes me curious as to how do they really manufacture opium? You know, they gave you the whole history of the opium war and, you know, Chinese were controlled through opium, da 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 da. But do we know the process in which they extracted that opium? Did they add chemicals to a natural plant? Because why would a plant just be growing on this earth and there's no use for it? I mean, these are the type of things that I think about. It was believed that during religious rituals that beverage was distributed between the people for them to be closer to the goddess. And, you know, when you read, when I read stuff like that, it makes me think that's probably the time that these civilizations were, were infiltrated by religion, by the indoctrination system of religion. Because, you know, the brother Edgar Mendix just did an incredible deep dive on spirituality versus religion right especially when focused on the continent of africa and he spoke about how we had these natural remedies you know how we actually used to go to you know holistic doctors we don't even have to use the term holistic but i use it just so people understand what i'm talking about we used to actually be able to go to these doctors and they actually used to be able to cure us naturally and that's real people but what have we traded that in for? Once we replaced our own spirituality, which is internal, which is your relationship with the Most High, which is the fact that you know thyself. Once you, tr you trade that in for external factors like religion, then you get rituals, then you get education, then you get finance, then you get government, then you get health care, then you get an array of brainwashing. I mean, history has continued to repeat itself, right? And this is interesting. This 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 paragraph right here. Following this idea, the Sumerians could have been the first ones to literally coin the expression that latter on Marx claimed. Religion is the opioid of the masses. Think about that, people. Religion is the opioid of the masses. And think about what an opioid does to a person. It's addicting. I firsthand can give accounts of people in my life that i care for that i've seen their lives crumble because of opioid addiction because of various pills whether it's you know antidepressants psychotropic drugs i've seen the abuse of pills and i see what it does to a person it's hard to get off 
it's incredibly hard i mean think about the opioid crisis that we have that's kind of just brushed under the rug that you know the mainstream media mentions it here and there but very sparingly let's continue holy moly the all men are pigs story of greek mythology in homer's odyssey the king of itaca itacha Odysseus begins his trip back home with his crew after the 10-year Trojan War. During their trip, they face big hardships, and one of my personal favorites is their encounter with a goddess and enchantress, I think it's pronounced Circe. In the Homer's Chronicles, Odysseus and his crew arrived at the island of Ea, and he ordered to half of the crew to descend and go look for food while the other half remained in the ships. The explorers found a palace, beautifully decorated, that belonged to the sorceress Circe. She was very beautiful and kind, and invited the crew to take part in an exquisite banquet. The crew that were very hungry ate everything without hesitation, and they got turned into pigs, due to the poison that the witch put in the food. Wow, think about that. And we just talked about McDonald's. You best believe that these fast food restaurants are paying homages to old deities. It doesn't necessarily have to be Cersei. But you best believe that they're poisoning us through the food. We've already talked about in the episode of Poison. How we're poisoned through in every single way, shape, and form. The sky. The soil. The food. The water. The so-called prescription drugs and medication. I mean, half the people in the world would argue with you and say a Tylenol is not a drug. They'd be like, no, it's not. That's headache medicine. They would tell you that. Instead of listening to their body and making sure they're not dehydrated, making sure they got enough rest, making sure they're eating right, you know, natural ways, right? But no, people would argue with you. They would argue that there's no way that food, the food nowadays is poison. The article continues with one of the crew members got too drunk before the food arrived and was able to escape and war warn Odessa's, which went by himself to the rescue of his crew. In the way, he was encountered by the god Hermes that gave him a molly plant that would protect him against the potion and magic of Circe. Thanks to this plant, he was able to resist the enchantress and recover his men earning the help of Circe that allowed him to stay in the island for a year and gave him indications for his future route. This is the myth, but funny enough, it could be explained by the use of some substances present in plants that were used during the Greek period as medicinal treatments. Toxins that affect cholinergenic transmission could be hypothetically involved in this myth the potion that Circe used to enchant the crew could have been an extract of the plant atropa belladonna that has tropane alkaloids like atropine atropine blocks muscane receptors muscanic receptors one of the two types of receptors involved in cholinergenic transmission 
reducing cholangenic transmission and interestingly it has been seen to produce convulsions memory loss and hallucinations the molly herb that odessus received from hermes could have been snowdrops a plant that contains galadamine you know that's interesting that's very very interesting when you actually break this down you know, I'm going to continue to try to find more connections to mythology as far as drugs. But I know there's a lot. There's definitely some kind of mythological god that is the god of, you know, synthetic drugs or something. They're paying homage to it in some way, shape, or form. I mean, think about pharmakia. We know that that's sorcery and witchcraft. So there's always going to be a connection. And, you know, we know throughout civilization that you know, humanity has been using so-called drugs. And what I mean by that is they're just labeled as drugs by so-called government. Who better than to come in and take away a natural remedy? What if opium was supposed to just be a muscle relaxant that gave you euphoria? What if you were out, you know, tending to your garden, tending to your land, fixing up your house, which in and of itself is already a workout and you're exhausted and you had some tea with the opium plant in it and it wasn't overwhelming it was just something that could make your muscles relax and you just sit back in your chair you know it makes me reminds me of what they've done to marijuana because growing up i remember we used to have a thing called mids which is basically the weed that would you know, so-called come from Mexico that would have all the seeds and stems. And I remember back then we used to like demonize it. We used to look at that in a, in a negative light. And then we had another level up called beasters and BC buds, whatever you want to call them. And typically we would only smoke these, these plants if we couldn't find anything of high grade, high quality, right? We would use them in edibles in most cases. But now that I think about it, I remember when I started seeing a rush of different types of marijuana when I was in high school, when I started getting into it. And you actually started to be able to have choices, but it wasn't the choices like we see today with the dispensaries, all the chemically laced, you know, weeds that we see. It was much less choices. I mean, you you might be able to get white widows or blueberries or, you know, I'm trying to think of any like past strain that was pretty common you know those two just come to mind right but then you started getting all of these different types i mean go go to a dispensary you'll probably be able to find at least minimum 30 different strains people and that that's not normal because they're all chemically induced that's how they grow weed nowadays so who's not to say they wouldn't do that to opium or all these other various natural remedies that were vilified that were turned into schedule one drugs or schedule two drugs that carried federal offenses or felonies for having them you know how many people i've seen have had their lives ruined because of weed i have a friend who i have multiple friends i have a friend in particular who was a really close friend of mine who used to deal back in high school and he was set up by a local guy who was in trouble and he had two ounces on him of marijuana and he got a felony from it. And ever since that time, everything kind of went downhill for him. I know his life is much better. He's in happy spirits. He's got a daughter. He's he's happy. 
But I witnessed that firsthand. And I witnessed what it did to him. And think about all the people locked up in these prisons for that, for, for similar offenses. So we got to understand that the history of drugs is deeper than we think. A lot of the drugs, so-called drugs, Schedule 1 drugs, were actual natural remedies. <laughs> I, I know it in my heart. I know how deceptive these entities are. They would take away anything that's natural to us. Think about a plant that would take away your headache. Think about a plant that would help a woman with her menstrual cycle. Think about a plant that would help, you know, with giving birth. Think about a plant that would help if you, you know, sprained an ankle or broke a bone, like a natural painkiller that you could take from a plant in, in the bush. Guarantee. I mean, think about it. They, that pharmaceutical industry tells you all the time. They like to mock you and tell you, you know, how they derive a lot of their drugs from the rainforest and such and such, which we know isn't the case. They're just mimicking these, these natural remedies and destroying them at the same time. So let's get into the so-called history of drugs and how natural aspects were perverted and weaponized against the masses and how the drug war was one of the biggest psyops of all time. According to the drugpolicy.org article entitled A History of the Drug War. Many currently illegal drugs such as marijuana, opium, coca, and psychedelics have been used for thousands of years for both med medicinal or medical and spiritual purposes. So why are some drugs legal and other drugs illegal today? It's not based on any scientific assessment of the relative risk of these drugs, but it has everything to do with who is associated with these drugs. The first anti-opium laws in the 1870s were directed at Chinese immigrants. The first anti-cocaine laws in the early 1900s were directed at black men in the South. The first anti-marijuana laws in the Midwest and the Southwest in the 1910s and 20s were, di were directed at Mexican migrants and Mexican Americans. Today, Latino and especially black communities are still subjects to wildly disproportionate drug enforcement and sentencing practices. And you got to understand the reason for a lot of this was they needed to usher in division. That's when they started, you know, they had to start giving us racism and, oh, the Civil War and all, you know, women's suffrage and the civil rights movement. It was just an easy way to usher these in. And then once you divided the people, you could then stick stereotypes to them. You know, of course, you can say, you know, cocaine was the black man's choice when a lot of people will tell you that white people in the suburbs loved cocaine, too. And white people in the suburbs used crack cocaine as well. And once it started becoming an issue, then they blamed it on the blacks. That's what I've been. That's what I've been. My research has led me to see. I'm not saying it's 100 percent accurate. I could look further into it, which I will. But think about how they divvied up racism and divvied up the people. So, of course, you know, you, you, you could say opium was a Chinese thing. Oh, the Chinese problem. Are you kidding me, people? That's that's just a division. You guarantee every race at some point was using it. Nixon and the generation gap. 
In the 1960s, as drugs became symbols of youthful rebellion, social upheaval, and political dissent, the government halted scientific research to evaluate their medical safety and efficacy. In June 1971, President Nixon declared a war on drugs. He dramatically increased the size and presence of federal drug control agencies and pushed through measures such as mandatory sentencing and no-knock warrants. A top Nixon aide, John Eichelman, later admitted, You want to know what this was really about? all about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies the anti-war left and black people you understand what i'm saying we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against a war or black but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily we could disrupt those communities we could arrest their leaders raid their homes break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Nixon temporarily placed marijuana in Schedule 1, the most restrictive category of drugs. Pending review by a commission he appointed led by Republican Pennsylvania Governor Raymond Schaefer. In 1972, the commission unanimously recommended decriminalizing the possession and distribution of marijuana for personal use. Nixon ignored the report and rejected its recommendations. And so, like, you know, they're going to always give you that story of, you know, the Senate and the House of Representatives and the House versus the president. They're all together. They're always going to tell you one voted against this and one did it. They knew exactly what they were doing, people. This was the divide and conquer in the beginning of the prison industrial complex. article continues with between 1973 and 1977 however 11 states decriminalized marijuana possession in january 1977 president jimmy carter was inaugurated on a campaign platform that included marijuana decriminalization in October 1977, the Senate Judiciary Committed Committee voted to decriminalize possession of up to an ounce of marijuana for personal use. Within just a few years, though, the tide has shifted. Proposals to decriminalize marijuana were abandoned as parents became increasingly concerned about high rates of teen marijuana use. Marijuana is ultimately caught up in a broader cultural backlash against the perceived Per permissiveness of the 70s and so that's interesting you know if you think about you know the 60s and 70s you know you had you had you know the 60s was basically you had your civil rights movements right you know and then you had inter and after that we a war vietnam war and you movement and all that counterculture and you got to think about all of the psyops of a lot of these 
so-called leaders you know i called i called them out in the episode of music like you know the reggae movement you had your bob marley's your peter tasha's these are all puppets great music but puppets and they would widely push the use of marijuana smoking and think about the hippie counterculture with like the beatles or Jimi hendrix you know lsd and all of these other drugs you need synthetic drugs and the heavy use of smoking weed i personally believe weed should not be smoked i really don't think that's natural to be smoking weed if you're going to have weed i believe that you should consume it in a way that you you're ingest you're digesting it through a tea or through eating it with food that's truly my opinion i don't think the most high meant for us to go buy, to go roll something up or go put something in a bowl and light it with butane, people. And for all of you who say, oh, I use matches or I, I start a natural fire, you want me to believe that? You expect me to believe that every time you smoke, you do it that way. That's not realistic, people. So you gotta think about what they were really doing to the people. They were kind of doing two things at once. It was the Hegelian dialectic. It was problem, reaction, solution, right? The people wanted something, a change after the civil rights movement, and then here came the war, which was probably a distraction at the time. The war came into play, a huge psyop, and then you had the hippie movement, which a lot of people believe is organic. It's no different than the trucker's convoy. It's no different than Black Lives Matter. It's no different than the feminist movement. It's no different than the LGBTQ movements. They're always set up by the government and always include controlled opposition. So of course they're gonna push these drugs on people. And of course then legislature is gonna go into effect after you know, th that young generation that looked up to the hippies you know, or looked up to the reggae artist or whatnot already are knee deep in the usage of that drug. Think about it. The 1980s and 90s, drug hysteria and skyrocketing incarceration rates the presidency of Ronald Reagan marked the start of a long period of skyrocketing rates of incarceration, largely thanks to his unprecedented expansion of the drug war. The number of people behind bars for nonviolent drug law offenses increased from 50,000 in 1980 to over 400,000 by 1997. Public concern about illicit drug use built throughout the 1980s largely due to media portrayals of people addicted to the smokable form of cocaine dubbed crack. Soon after Ronald Reagan took office in 1981, his wife, Nancy Reagan, began a highly publicized anti-drug campaign coining the slogan, Just Say No. This set the stage for the zero tolerance policies implemented in the mid to late 1980s. Los Angeles Police Chief Daryl Gates who believed that casual drug users should be taken out and shot, <laughs> founded the DARE drug edu education program, which was quickly adopted nationwide despite the lack of evidence of its effectiveness. And you best believe I'm about to get in on the DARE program because I was one of the people who was experimented on with the DARE program. And I have a lot of insight as to what I felt and what I saw, especially the aftermath of that program. So we'll get into that, best believe it. But I find that interesting. I didn't I didn't know that. That police chief, so-called Daryl Gates, 
<laughs> he said anybody should be taken outside and shot. And that dude's your police chief. He says that out loud in the media. And you believe that that person's there for your protection. It's absolutely nuts. But yeah, that same dude will drink alcohol, smoke tobacco, you know, take caffeine, probably use on some high blood pressure meds, you know, all this crap. But, you know, God forbid you smoke some marijuana. <laughs> they're hypocrites, people. The ones in charge are absolutely evil and they're hypocrites. The increasingly harsh drug policy also policies also blocked the expansion of syringe access programs and other harm reduction policies to reduce the rapid spread of HIV slash AIDS. And so we already understand what that whole HIV slash AIDS thing was. It's just a game. They created drugs for the people and those drugs have chemical reactions. So if you take a drug over and over and over, you would assume that if it's not natural, it's going to do something to your body. Therefore, what happens when your body tries to fight things off? It affects your immunity. You know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, it's not the right term, immune system. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? It's going to affect your body and it's going to break your body down. And eventually you will develop the so-called HIV that they have, that they mentioned, which is basically your immune system just shot. And then eventually, once you get AIDS, a common cold or pneumonia can knock you out and kill you. That's what they know. And think about the Fauci fraud. He was the face of the AIDS, the HIV and AIDS epidemic, people. Wasn't he pushing AZT on the people? Another drug? And like I said, we're going to call out man-made drugs. We're going to call out the natural drugs that were pushed on the masses and used incorrectly on purpose and we're going to call out these prescription drugs in this episode so we can shed light on what's really going on in the late 1980s a political hysteria about drugs led to the passage of draconian penalties in congress and state legislatures that rapidly increased the prison population in 1985, the proportion of Americans polled who saw drug abuse as the nation's number one problem was just 2 to 6%. The figure grew through the remainder of the 1980s until, in September 1989, it reached a remarkable 64%, one of the most intense fixations by the American public on any issue in polling history. And so, I mean, that's just the damage was done. The propaganda already was set in. You, you use propaganda on the people for over a decade. Of course, they're going to fall in line. I mean, think about what's happened in the last two years of this pandemic. Just two years, people. You've, you, you, people who seemingly had critical thinking and common sense are now destroyed. Like, for real, destroyed. For a lot of people, there's no coming back from what just happened to them. So imagine, ten, you know, 10 years of doing this. Within less than a year... However, the figure plummeted to less than 10% as the media lost interest. Do you hear that? As the media lost interest, basically they stopped using heavy propaganda. So of course they went on to the next PSYOP. I mean, you know, the 80s and 90s, you know, wasn't that, you know, you know the Gulf War and the Middle Eastern issues with, you know, George Bush Sr. So of course there's a new PSYOP that they had to throw on the people. The draconian policies enacted during the hysteria remained, however, and continued to result in escalating levels of arrest and incarceration. And that's what the people don't understand. When you give an inch to these entities, they will take a whole mile. So those who 
willingly allow themselves to be locked down during a hoax pandemic you just show the government you know hey it's okay to lock me down for any reason now it could be a lockdown over the war or the grid goes down oh famine or a natural disaster or global warming any type of crises that they usher in will then allow them to continue to build off of what you agree to so don't be surprised when face masks become law or social distancing becomes a law in the very near future, especially when they got you hooked up to a social credit system. You're done at that point. All right, let me finish here. Although Bill Clinton advocated for treatment instead of incarceration during his 1992 presidential campaign, after his first few months in the White House, he reverted to the drug war strategies of his Republican predecessors by continuing to escalate the drug war. Notoriously, Clinton rejected a U.S. Sentencing Commission recommendation to eliminate the disparity between crack and powder cocaine sentences. And so if anybody understands, you know, Clinton, you know, because I was young during that time, but I remember the aftermath. He was the same one who gave you the three strikes you're out rule. So they already knew a lot of people in these inner cities didn't have much opportunity. So they turned to selling marijuana or cocaine or crack. But the three strikes rule basically meant, you know, three felonies in your life in prison. And who's going to front that bill? You and I fronted that bill. That wasn't paid by the government. Do you really think the government's paying for these prisoners to be incarcerated? You have you, you don't understand life. You don't you're not wise. You're not up to date on that topic. And so let's transition over to the sinister truth behind how we've been manipulated through the court systems and the use of legalese to defend ourselves against tyrants who created the drugs. Because like I said, linguistics is 100% manipulation of language and it's words and spells, it's witchcraft, it's meant to confuse. And then within li linguistics, you have legalese. You have all these different type of laws. And so it's gonna shine a light on one of the people's saviors. You're, you're gonna understand why there's nothing new under the sun with these politicians. They're all one and the same. They're all a part of the same game. So we're going to transition over to an audio excerpt from the cspan.org video entitled User Clip Joe Biden Bragging Working with Strom's Thurman for War on Drugs. Two hundred and thirty new or expanded penalties for drug and criminal offenses in this United States. Two hundred and thirty new penalties. And these penalties range from an automatic five years in jail for any person caught with a uh, with a with a rock of uh, crack cocaine, a piece of crack cocaine as small as a quarter. I don't have a quarter with me, but if you visualize what one looks like, yeah, I do have a quarter. If you have a piece of crack cocaine, no bigger than this quarter that I'm holding in my hand, one quarter of one dollar, we passed a law through the leadership of Senator Thurman and myself and others, a law that says, if you're caught with that, you go to jail for five years. You get no probation, you get nothing other than Five years in jail. Judge doesn't have a choice. 
you know and that's that comes from the horse's mouth you know the so-called savior of america that so many people thought would you know lead the nation back on track after trump huh same entity bragging about you know putting down 230 types of legislation on the people and automatically you get five years for a quarter size of so-called crack cocaine and let me let's think about it real quick a quarter size people you, you really don't believe that the government and the fbi and the so-called cia and the police you know didn't plant these drugs on on innocent victims you really don't think that that's possible huh the same government that created the drugs i mean you really believe that some random guy named freeway ricky ross right created crack cocaine in like his house or his backyard so that he could pay for his tennis lessons that's that's the that's the crap story that they give you this one guy basically became a backyard chemist in the hood and shifted created a paradigm shift in the world just one guy people or would it make more sense that a government that funds research and development and you know is connected directly to healthcare and science would have scientists working around the clock on it i mean i'm just i'm just curious as to where people's minds are at because we already know that the so-called governments have a very very checkered and shady past so why do people continue to trust them is you know beyond me so these are the type of questions you have to ask i mean crack decimated the black family structure along with other minorities and even whites don't let them tell you that it was all only blacks obviously blacks primarily were hurt by it but don't let them deceive you and fool you because it was everyone and that was the whole point but by placing it on the shoulders of blacks there you go it's an automatic stereotype that you can use against blacks and continue the divide and conquer because at the end of the day if the people are divided they can continue to you know partake in their plans they even been telling you for since forever about their plan for a new world order <laughs> so it's not like it's it's not like this was anything different for them it was just another psyop a huge psyop that clearly lasted decades and was building up to a certain point when they could legally lock you up for something that they created i don't know man that's some of the most sinister and nefarious things like i've ever been able to break down to actually understand what they are up to and let's take a look at the better truth behind how our government created drugs and have been experimenting on the masses with these drugs a lot of people are going to be in denial and really think that you know it's some little guy in his backyard who needed to pay for tennis lessons or somebody who wanted that brand new you know drop top or somebody who wanted to get the girl always giving you some kind of fairy tale story and we're going to transition over into an audio excerpt from the the history video entitled america's war on drugs the cia's project mk ultra history published on june 20 of 2017 Two American spies have just arrived at Sandoz Laboratories, one of the world's leading pharmaceutical factories. The mission 
cornered the market on the world's supply of a powerful new psychoactive drug. The CIA was scared stiff the KGB was going to get all this LSD and come over and start dosing people. So we bought every drop of LSD in existence at that point. The CIA has just authorized the purchase of 10 kilograms of pure LSD-25, enough to dose more than half the population of the United States. They gave it to George White and let George start dosing people. George Hunter White, a larger-than-life undercover federal narcotics agent. Unbeknownst to his supervisors, White also works for the CIA. His job, to conduct experiments for an operation called Midnight Climax. George had a CIA safe house stocked with booze. George would sit behind this one-way mirror, drinking martinis, sitting on a portable toilet. If he had to take a leak, he didn't want to get up and leave. White pays prostitutes to lure their clients to the agency's safe house. Hookers would bring these suckers back to the apartment and dose them with pure LSD-25. This is where I have my effect in the mind. This is lysergic acid diethylamide, better known as acid. The powerful drug was first synthesized in 1938 in Switzerland. With a dose of mere micrograms, the mind becomes confused. Perception is distorted. Personal identity is called into question. The results can be euphoric bliss or deadly panic. White takes meticulous notes and files his reports to his CIA handlers. So that was how LSD was introduced to this country. Operation Midnight Climax is part of a larger top secret CIA program called MKUltra. The goal, learn how to control and even reprogram people's minds. The CIA believes LSD might hold the key. Over the next 10 years, the agency doses a cross-section of the American public. Everyone from unwitting housewives, to soldiers, to even criminals like gangster Whitey Bulger is tested. You know, what the CIA really dreamed of was sort of like a drug you could give to someone, get them to commit all sorts of unspeakable acts, and they wake up the next day and they don't remember what they've done. They were looking into brainwashing. They were looking into mind control. They were looking into how they could create what they called Manchurian candidates. They were trying to figure out if they could get people to go out and do things that they would ordinarily not do, like assassination. The case of MKUltra has to be one of the craziest cases of blowback in CIA history because here they took this drug, LSD, and thought that they were gonna be able to use it to control people's minds. And the unbelievable irony is that LSD is a drug that does exactly the opposite. It frees your mind and uh, causes people to question authority. Turn on, tune in, drop out. The CIA's attempt to control people turned out to be <laughs> Just the opposite. It created the counterculture, as we know it, of the 60s. There was the CIA that introduced LSD to the United States. You know, it's important to be able to use your common sense and discernment 
in terms of any type of mainstream history that they give us but at the same time we do understand that these entities do tell you the truth in plain sight and oftentimes they'll sprinkle in five to ten percent truth with the rest lies you know due to their notion of the universal law of karmic responsibility they have to tell you but it's up to you to be able to read in between the lines and what my common sense and discernment is telling me after listening to that is that was a complete psyop and the cia you got to understand that the cia is a part of the government is the government they always try to tell you that these you know companies or establishments you know work outside of the government at their own pace they have their own jurisdiction they have their own leadership da 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 you know but that's not the case people that's why they had to give you so much division so that you wouldn't look at the actual issue which is your so-called government your so-called leaders the whole entire establishment the whole entire cube that's why they needed to divide everything even their own establishment needs to be divided so that everything's separated so that they can place blame whenever they want and think about it this way they're giving you the whole psyop with the kgb you know russian espionage and the soviets and the cold war and you know ooh, be scared because you know these communists are going to come over and take over your country even though back then i guarantee the vast majority of americans had never been to russia had never met a russian i never actually sat down and became friends with the russian they just went off of what the tv told them so of course they can use the kgb bs and then tell you that oh my god the, the cia was so worried about you know the infiltration and espionage of the kgb that they bought up all of the available you know lsd and started using it because they didn't want the kg the russians to get a hold of it i mean come on people that's like right out of a movie that's not real once you understand that the world is a stage and all all i mean all of these governments work together and they just have different roles then you understand what i'm saying and you know another thing they admit to you is that they experimented on unsuspecting people first they give you the story of oh you know this this undercover agent his his co-workers had no idea what he was up to and he was hanging out with prostitutes and they were luring men in you know and then he was dosing them and, and recording it. No, they they definitely were recording. They were definitely doing it to the entire public. And it's interesting how they tell you that after the fact. You know, and, and they also tell you the CIA basically introduced LSD to the population. Go listen to the video over if you doubt what, what they said. They told you that. This is the History Channel telling you that. So what makes us think that they haven't introduced every other drug? If they've introduced LSD people, right? What makes you think they haven't introduced every other drug? And then they're going to try to spin it and say, oh, wow, well, like the counterculture, like defended themselves and they beat the CIA. No, the CIA created the counterculture people <laughs> and they created LSD. It was a huge psyop. It's absolutely insane. I personally have never used LSD. I don't do I've always been of the notion to not do synthetics even growing up I was for some reason when I was even smoking weed I was like you know what I don't ever want to get into synthetics you know granted I did I was an idiot and drank alcohol but I'm talking about like drugs alcohol is a drug but I'm talking about the harder drugs you know what I mean 
and so you know i never touched it but i saw a lot of my friends do it and i a lot of my friends who were doing it they were into like the pink floyds and the Jimi hendrixes so they definitely i obviously music and the frequencies of music had a huge ploy on them and they'll try to tell you well lsd opened their minds it opened their minds no it was just the choice that people wanted to open their minds we could have opened our minds naturally why would we need lsd people to open our minds are you kidding me that's that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard that's why they can sell you the whole notion that you only use 10% of your brain because you're listening to them. <laughs> of course you only use 10% of your brain because you're, you're taking things from them that are not real. You're not thinking for yourself. So once you stop thinking for yourself, then of course somebody can say you're only using 10% of your brain. That other 90% they're using. You know... It's just it's just a joke. It really is a joke how they've gotten away with all of this. And and if they if they can admit that in their history, why is no one outraged by that? Why are people still trusting the government? I just see that's what I don't understand is that they'll tell you in their own history what they're up to, how insidious and nefarious and evil they are, how tyrannical and wicked they are, how deceptive and manipulative they are. Because that's straight up deception and manipulation. Would you want to get drugged drugged by the government? even though they already are drugging you with fluoride, but would you want to get drugged with LSD? I mean, that, that can change people. I've seen people take hard drugs and it's changed them, like straight up. And let's transition into the deception behind the D.A.R.E. program and what really occurred. According to the DrugLibrary.org article entitled Truth or D.A.R.E., written by Jennifer Gonerman and published on April 7, 1999. 36th graders 36, began to shout as a police officer enters their classroom at PS20 on the Lower East Side. Good morning, Officer Carla. They call out to their favorite teacher. Officer Carla it's Carla de Blasio, 35, a one-time transit cop who teaches weekly classes as part of the NYPD's Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program. Wednesday, the officers stride into the classroom clutching Dare's mascot, a fuzzy stuffed lion named Darren. Officer Carla wears a D.A.R.E. pin above her police badge and a gun tucked discreetly inside the waistband of her navy blue slacks but she seems more like a dedicated teacher than a typical cop. Indeed, she knows every student's name. And when she discovered that PS20 did not have a basketball team, she started her, her own. Such devotion has made Officer Carla a star in the city's D.A.R.E. program. At first, the students fire the usual questions at her. Have you ever used a gun? Have you ever shot anybody? But now, near the end of D.A.R.E.'s 17-week curriculum, any anxiety the students may have about, had about cops, or at least officers, or at least Officer Carla seemed to have dissipated. And think about that. That was just damage control from what they did with the crack epidemic in the 80s and, and then going into the 90s with all of this legislature from the you know the war on drugs 
you know your three strikes are out you know all of these rules that destroyed people's lives locking people up for marijuana possession all these low-level crimes that was just damage control because they didn't want the people to see really what was going on so why not create a dare program or why not you know feed off of the fact that you scared the living daylights out of people about drugs that you created and now you're here to save their children it's the hegelian dialectic people problem reaction solution order out of chaos every single time with these entities officer carla begins by recapping last week's lesson on positive alternatives what happens when we hang out with the wrong people she yells tiny hands shoot into the air as students holler the answers drinking smoking drugs good says officer carla flashing a warm smile apparently her students have internalized dare's message resisting peer pressure and choosing the right friends will keep them away from drugs dear america started in los angeles in 1983 with what seemed like a good inept cops in fifth and sixth grade classes to teach kids about drug abuse since then dare has become the world's dominant drug prevention program this 230 million operation conducts courses in all 50 states and in 44 countries you hear that people 50 states and 44 countries from sweden and england to brazil and costa rica 80 percent of u.s schools districts have dare the largest city program is right here in new york with dare officers teaching in 271 public elementary schools by the end of the current school year the total number of graduates from the city's dare program will climb to 210,000. as dare america grows so does criticism of its effectiveness more than a dozen studies have concluded that dare has no lasting impact and one six-year study found increased drug use among suburban kids who graduated from dare and let me let me step in real quick for a second you know i grew up and i grew up in saint paul you know and my parents had moved me to a suburb you know we went from a tougher area to a much stable area and i in our eyes my parents did what they could to provide for us so i grew up around kids who were wealthy my parents were by no means wealthy it was just timing we happened to buy a house in a developing city before the city blew up and i remember seeing all of the kids who were wealthy growing up and a lot of them drugs were a huge influence so in my mind when i think back to this dare program that i went through i believe i was in fifth or sixth grade i can't remember but i remember vividly them coming to my elementary school and like they describe with this officer carla you knew the cops you became like you liked the cops they crack jokes, give you candy, all this crap, people. <laughs> Straight brainwashing. In my mind, it's no different than sex education. You're just, you are basically putting something in front of an innocent child that the child doesn't even need to know about. And so what do kids think when you tell them something's off limits? Even adults are like this. Human nature makes you curious, right? And not to mention Babylon destroys the mind, body, and soul of its captives so when people are traumatized they want to escape and so the way that they describe these drugs is oh people are just trying to escape reality they can't you know deal with reality you know they they turn towards drugs instead of a counselor or their parents or a teacher or a trusted adult that's what the the, the bs that they were selling us 
all while destroying our lives so of course people are going to turn towards drugs you think they didn't know this the same ones that created the drugs that created the dare program you think they didn't know this what would actually end up happening come on and i'm not saying that all kids went and who went through this program wouldn't use drugs it probably scared the crap out of kids to the point where they didn't use drugs but think about all they need is what say there's 10 kids all they really need to sustain you know the the prison industrial complex and continue to experiment experiment on people is two to three people out of ten really and as the world gets worse they already know that two to three people out of ten is only going to significantly grow we haven't even gotten into prescription drugs so realistically that two to three people out of ten is sitting at like a seven like a six to a seven if not higher out of ten you'll see here in a little bit what i mean Even more damaging than these little read reports were a pair of stories penned by Stephen Glass, the prolific con man who wove fictitious anecdotes into his articles. Glass wrote scathing pieces about Dare for the New Republic in 1997 and Rolling Stone in 1998. Now Glass admits that many of the embarrassing allegations in his stories were false. In February, Dare slapped Rolling Stone with a 50 million libel suit. Glass's deceitful journalism has not, however, dispelled the doubts that continue to dog Dare. And it makes it interesting. I want to know what he said about the Dare. I should look into that. What he said in the Rolling Stone. Because it sounds like a fact check to me. I mean, that's no different than today's fact checkers. You know what I'm saying? The list of cities that have dropped Dare, either because they cannot afford it or do not believe it works, has grown to include Seattle, Oakland, Spokane, Omaha, Austin, Houston, Milwaukee, Fayetteville, and Boulder, despite Dare's uneven track record. New York City adopted the program in 1996. I really believe it is effective, says Captain James Sarah who oversees the NYPD's D.A.R.E. officers. Any kind of prevention we can give the kids of New York City is a great thing. And so it's interesting. I was even find you know, statistics as far as how much money in taxpayers' dollars goes towards D.A.R.E. And it's quite a lot. It's like hundreds of millions of dollars, people, when this program was even popular. So you're paying for something. It's, it, and like I said, it's no different than sex ed. You put a thought in a kid's head and the kid's going to get curious about it. And eventually a kid might go and partake in that curiosity. That's really how it works. You know, and it, 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 you got to understand that it, it is a game to them. The deception runs deep. And let's transition over to how they mock us using their idols and their connections to drugs and the creation of drugs. You know, these the people nowadays love their scientists, but really don't know what these scientists are really about. According to the Discover Mag dot com article entitled The Scientist Drug Dealer, How Researchers Get Illicit Drugs, written by Troy Farrar and published on April 22nd, 2019. 
public interest in the science of powerful psychoactive drugs is at an all-time high. Evidence for the therapeutic benefits of marijuana, MDMA, MDMA, psilocybin, and more is growing based on a resurgence of scientific interest in studying these compounds. And you got to understand, people, like I said, when they rolled, when they legalized the marijuana, right? A lot of us fell for it. I fell for it. I was like, oh, that's pretty dope. I can go to a dispensary, not knowing I'm going to be charged an arm and a leg, especially if if it is newly enacted as as legal. They're, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg, people. And not only that, they're the ones who are creating it. They're the ones who are feeding you these drugs, and they're the ones that are giving you the chemically laced marijuana. They're the ones that are giving you the MDMA. They're the ones that are giving you the psilocybin that they're messing with. Don't trust the scientists, people. I'm telling you. But many of these drugs are strictly banned by the federal government, and those who caught with them on the street can face steep fine and felony prison time. So where are researchers getting the drugs for their studies? The short answer is, in many cases, the federal government. The National Institutes on Drug Abuse has an extensive catalog of drugs that researchers can order from, including heroin, cannabis, ibogaine, and even, I don't even know how to pronounce this, but carfentanil, a drug often used to sedate elephants. Oh my God, wow. Getting to the point where you can place an order for heroin to Uncle Sam is difficult, though. And it involves spools of red tape, background checks, and rigorous protocols. But a small cohort of researchers remain dedicated to exploring the healing potential of currently illegal drugs, despite the often daunting bureaucratic hoops. And you best believe when they say they're trying to heal you, what they're going to do is take something natural such as marijuana, something natural such as psilocybin, and they're going to pervert it. That's all they're going to do. They're going to GMO it. They're going to genetically modify it. They're going to tweak it. You think that these people, after all these civilizations, didn't know? They didn't know that these things were helpful towards the people? You know, you really got to pay attention to the history they give you. You know, the fact that they can just go and get drugs. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. Let me, okay, let me read this portion. Drug research, a trip. Many of the hurdles to legitimate drug research stem from the Controlled Substances Act signed into law in 1970 by President Richard Nixon. This legislation places drugs into different categories called schedules based on their medical uses and risk for abuse. Drugs in Schedule 1 category are considered to have no medical applications whatsoever and carry a high risk of abuse. It includes substances like heroin, peyote, LSD, and of course marijuana. Drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, and fentanyl are, are in Schedule 2. Did you hear that, people? Drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, and fentanyl are in Schedule 2. And think about this. So I guess peyote's not and marijuana's not. Schedule two. They're all schedule one. But the methamphetamine and fentanyl are schedule two people? Does that make sense? 
and they said that's because these drugs have have been accepted medical uses so i mean if somebody can tell me how methamphetamine and fentanyl is helpful just let me know maybe i'm missing out on something alcohol and tobacco two of the most popular drugs in america are not scheduled think about that people and what have i said in the episode about alcohol how much it destroys people how many people's lives it takes per year you know why it's not illegal because it's one of the substances that really does the job for them you get yourself caught up in the legal system you get your caught yourself caught up in the judicial system you, you have to then go from the judicial system to get re-educated you get yourself caught up in the healthcare system you know the financial system with you know the courts and insurance if you end up hurting someone or killing someone or ruining your car or even getting a minor you know it's a big business for them this alcohol and this drugs i mean in, in tobacco i remember growing up and i saw joe camel ads they were pushing that on the masses hardcore and you think you think the government cares about you people it's crazy it's a crazy crazy world we live in and let's transition over to the sinister truth about how all drugs are created in a laboratory that's why they give us the concept of science people science is always tweaking anything that's natural science is here to destroy the naturality of the world there's no doubt about it at this point it's irrefutable for those with eyes to see ears to hear and minds to think with it's irrefutable so we're going to transition over to an audio excerpt from the pfizer video entitled how does mark know discover new medicines it's complicated published on july 17th 2016. When people think about pharmaceutical research and development, they think about drug discovery. But really, I think that's a bit of a misnomer because drugs are not simply found. Drugs are invented. Creating a medicine is like solving a very complex jigsaw puzzle. There are these moments of exhilaration when you get a string of pieces that actually do fit together, but you then quickly run into problems. Drug discovery really starts with a hypothesis. I believe that this protein is involved in this disease. So we take that protein, we then screen thousands to millions of compounds to find chemical starting points that bind to the protein and change its function. I know that's too complicated. <laughs> Every compound that we test is a potential drug. As drug discovery chemists, we change that molecule using a rational design process. When you think about chemistry, you can't see any of this stuff with your naked eye. One technique that we use is called protein crystallography. We grow a crystal of the protein, and if you shoot x-rays through that crystal, they diffract into a unique pattern. We use a 3D visualization, just like a 3D movie. Ultimately, we need to understand how these potential drug compounds are interacting with the protein so that we know what to change. There is a whole team of scientists who study that compound, constantly asking the question, is it good enough to be a new medicine? If you find out your initial hypothesis was wrong, it's like taking that entire jigsaw puzzle, dumping it out again, and saying, now you have to start all over. And by the way, this time it's a different puzzle. 
what keeps us going is the fact that we have a very noble mission. It's an incredible feeling when you know you've made a difference in people's lives. You know, think about what that entity told you in that video. Drugs aren't simply found. They're created. So, I mean, they're telling you right there what they do, what scientists are up to in a lab all day. You know, grants, taxpayer money. They're a government entity. So, of course, the government's going to pay these entities whatever money it takes to figure out these chemical combinations to break down the mind, body, and soul of humanity. And they've done a really good job at it. I would say it's definitely been mission accomplished for these scientists. Because we understand that these entities know exactly what they're doing in these labs. You think they don't? Dude was smiling. He even admitted, yeah, it's too confusing. You know? You know, notice how scientists use buzzwords and descriptions knowing that no one would understand them. That's why half the people around this world don't question the science. That's why they, they go for the terms, don't question the science. You know, trust the science because they don't understand it. I remember growing up, I always disliked the majority of science because it was just trash. Unless I could straight up do something and like actually put a, perform an experiment by myself, to me, it was useless. I didn't want to learn about planets. I didn't want to learn about dinosaurs. I didn't want to learn about, you know, gravity and all of these things that, you know, really were just theories. They would tell you that they're theories, that they're concepts. I didn't want to learn about evolution. So, you know, these buzzwords and the indoctrination makes it so that you can't question the science. And, you know, think about the mockery at the end, the, him stating that they have a noble mission. That mission ain't to you. If you understand anything about the Hippocratic Oath, you best believe these scientists are taking an oath just like these healthcare workers are taking an oath. And now that we understand the Hippocratic Oath is an oath to, you know, deities and goddesses and, and demigods, then we, we must be wise enough to know that these scientists took their own oath as well. You best believe it. And it's not an oath towards the people. So, of course, he has a noble mission towards his God. Whatever his God is, that's his mission. His Yahweh, Jesus, it doesn't matter. The system, it doesn't matter. And, you know, yeah, of course, you would say that you've made a difference in people's lives, acting as if it's benevolent. You made a very evil, demonic, and negative difference from what they used to know. People's lives have been turned upside down because of a company like Pfizer. Think about, think about these jabs, people. These Pfizer documents that just came out. I haven't even had an opportunity to dive into them yet. You best believe I will speak on it when I get enough time to look into it. But from, from what I'm gathering, people are shocked. Even the people who knew about this coming down the road, I, I'm seeing it all over the place. People shocked about these results. And of course, I'm going to comb through it and make sure that I'm not being deceived. And I'm going to look for it myself and look into it myself. But can you say you're surprised? Coincidentally, the same company is telling you that they create the drugs as a company is a front runner for your vaccines. It's crazy, people. It's absolutely crazy that we allow this, like, just out in the open. It's it's absolutely crazy. And let, let's look at a, look at let's look at another psyop they're trying to sell the people, because they always want you to be able to relate to these so-called idols, these so-called scientists in some way, shape, or form. 
according to the famousscientist.org article entitled 14 famous scientists and inventors who experimented with drugs i'm not going to read every single like description i'm just going to go through the names Many famous scientists and inventors of all ages have admitted to taking psychedelic drugs. Some of them have even claimed that recreational drugs enhance creativity, inventiveness, and intelligence, while others have gone on to advocate dr drug use. Timothy Leary, the legendary American psychologist, philosopher, and scientist, gained notoriety worldwide during the 1960s and 1970s for his advocacy of psychedelic drugs. I mean, it's, it's no different than when they give you these heroes of today. You know, the old Pfizer CEO, was it Mr. Malone, Dr. Malone, stepping down and talking out against the vaccine, against mRNA, but not talking out against the vaccine in general? It's no different than controlled op back in the day. So there's Andrew Wheel. So this scientist used morphine, apparently. Andrew Wheel is widely credited as a founder of an integrative medicine. Wheel is open about his use of chocolate, morphine, and other drugs. Bill Gates, LSD. This guy isn't exactly an inventor, but certainly one of the most important entrepreneurs in the personal computer revolution. In an interview with Playboy, Gates has admitted using LSD in his errant youth. Carl Sagan, and so I'll get into this later. So Carl Sagan, marijuana, probably the most influential astrophysicist and cosmologist in history. Francis Crick, LSD. The legendary molecular biologist Francis Crick told had told his Cambridge fellow, Dick Kemp, that he surprisingly had perceived the double helix shape while on LSD. <laughs> Gosh. John C. Lilly, LSD and ketamine. Kerry Mullis, interesting, he's on this list too, LSD. Kerry Bank Mullis was an American biochemist who, was, who won the 1993 Nobel Prize in Chemistry for making valuable improvements to polymerized chain reaction. PCR technique. Moles told once told California Monthly that he took plenty of LSD. Paul Erodos, amphetamines. Paul Erodos was a leading Hungarian mathematician and a highly prolific author, known for his eccentric personality. Reportedly wasn't able to get any mathematical work done for almost a month when he quit taking amphetamine. Ralph Abraham, LSD slash other. Richard Feynman, LSD, marijuana, ketamine. Sigmund Freud, cocaine. Stephen J. Gold, marijuana. Stephen Jobs, LSD. Thomas Alva Edison, cocaine elixirs. Timothy Leary, LSD slash other. And why I bring this up is this, it's important to understand that that was a way to show the public that, hey, you can take these government man-made synthetic drugs and you can end up just as successful as a, a Kerry Mullis or a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs or a Sigmund Freud. And you see, these scientists are taking them. You can take ketamine. You can, tell, you can take LSD. You can start smoking marijuana. It was just a way to get the public to think that that okay if they did it i can do it too 
that's just my opinion on the matter that's just literally my opinion and it obviously worked you know it worked completely think about the masses today a lot of the time they're more interested in a person if the person can tell them that they used to do drugs it really is that case especially in hip-hop especially in entertainment And let's transition over to the dark truth behind the impact of drug use on humanity. According to our worldanddata.org article entitled Drug Use, written by Hannah Ritchie and Max Rozier and published on December in December 2019. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to read the summary. So Collectively, smoking, alcohol, and illicit drug use kills 11.8 million people each year. This is more than the number of deaths from all cancers. So you got to understand why this is such a big deal for them, why drugs is a big deal for these bloodlines, these entities. Because it's doing its job, people. And like we said earlier, alcohol and, and tobacco is not on any of the schedule one or two or three. It's not even scheduled people. And so let me see. So smoking, al- smoking, alcohol and drug use is an important risk factor for early death. 11.4 million people die prematurely as a result each year. You see that people? Over 350,000 die from overdoses alcohol and illicit drug use overdose each year substance use disorders are much more common in men more than half of those who die from alcohol or drug use overdoses are younger than 50. 1.5 percent of global disease burden results from alcohol and illicit drug addiction in some countries it's over five percent and you got to understand that those numbers you i don't i don't know they definitely might see might be higher especially with the pandemic this was this was this was publicized in December of 2019. So imagine what's happened some two odd years later, people. It's got to be much higher. Got to be much higher. Let me read this part too. Alcohol and illicit drug use, for example, increases the risk of premature death from diseases and injury, including suicide, liver disease, hepatitis, and AIDS. Smoking is a key risk factor for lung and other forms of cancer, heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. So you got to understand that this is by design. They know all of these numbers, but yet they don't care. (laughs) You know, why was it still why when the pandemic kicked off? were alcohol shops and tobacco stores still open and fast food chains but your gym wasn't a lot of you thought that was normal seriously a lot of you thought that was normal because a lot of you were addicted to those drugs you were addicted to that alcohol you were addicted to the tobacco you were addicted to the chemically laced foods the gmo foods it's all by design people you think they're going to take away something that they know harms you or are they going to take away something that they know benefits you such as a gym and i found some additional statistics from the overdose website that i want to share so it says worldwide 
According to the most recent World Drug Report, an estimated 585,000 people died as a result of drug use in 2017. Opioids account for the majority of drug-related deaths, and in most cases, such deaths are avoidable. So United States, North America continues to experience the highest drug-related mortality rate in the world, according accounting for one in four drug-related deaths globally. The United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime reports. Think about that, people. One in four. The United States alone is is responsible for that. And think about what the fattest country in the world is. Like by far, the United States. But for a reason. And who and who who like who has all the eyes on them right now besides Russia and Ukraine? It's the United States, people. In April two thousand twenty one. The Center for Disease Control has estimated that the number of people in the U.S. who had died from overdose in the 12-month period to the end of September 2020 was 90,237. Think about that, people. In a 12-month period, people, was 90,237 lives. And think about all the families affected. Think about all the trauma from that during a pandemic which is insult to injury it's crazy out here man and we're going to transition over to the dark truth behind how alcohol is one of the most harmful drugs imaginable but is marketed to the world 24 7 365 and in plain sight so we're going to transition over to an audio excerpt from the tipsy bartender video entitled blue magic Published on December 6, 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Blue Magic, okay? Watch it change color, watch it change color. Well, it's kind of like purple magic, okay? There's some magic going on. That's my boy Sean, and now let's watch this mix. Vodka. Followed by some simple syrup, okay? Then a lemon extract comes in with a few drops of lemon extract. Beautiful. Then follows that up with some butterfly PT, okay? This is the game changer right here. That's what causes all these colors to come out. So we have a nice purple that we, that we have going on there as he stirs with a nice ice cube. Stir, 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 stir. All right? Beautiful. So we pour in the purple. Look at that. Look at that. And then we have the citric acid, okay? That you put on the side, kind of like breaking bad. It kind of like have like a drug theme to it, but it's fun. Now watch what happens when you drop in the citric acid and stirs the color changes. Love it, Sean. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And there you have it. Okay, blue magic. That's it. How'd you come up with this? Uh, I love the show Breaking Bad. Uh, just that's one of the names they called the drug at some point. And I like magic, so I like things to like happen in front of you. Okay, that's magical, but it ain't blue. It's not anymore. It was blue. <laughs> Yes, nice. Should be lemon, vodka, obviously. Does it even matter how it tastes? The damn thing just changed color, okay? Okay? That's all you need to know. You don't even need to taste. Just be like, bartender, that was pretty cool. Pay and get out, all right? <laughs> Go home sober. Stop drinking. I'm kidding. Stay tipsy. No, stay. <laughs> there it is. He said the line. <laughs> he said it. Awesome, man. Magical. You don't know Sean, man. Sean always got these badass stuff tricks. going on. You know? No sleeves, but I got a little crack cocaine on the side. You two probably can fly like this. <laughs> 
doesn't matter, you know, I'm not encouraging drug use, but it is kind of cool, you know, when you walk, oh, I got a little bit of drugs on the side of my drink. See what I'm saying? Guys, listen here. This Sean, if you have any questions about this drink, about how you two could be magical, you know, I don't know. Hit him up on Instagram, ask them oh, yeah. questions, okay? For and sure. they could educate you on all this stuff, you know, they got going on here. All right? That's what I'm telling you guys. I used to hate with chemistry, but now I look at chemistry differently, okay? Especially since they got little drugs in it too. All right? You notice how in the beginning they mention there's some magic going on? You know, think about the ingredients that they mentioned that they put into that concoction. <laughs> Simple syrup, lemon extract, butterfly PT, which is purple colored, so it has food dye in it, citric and citric acid. You know, and not to mention the actual poison of the ethanol alcohol. And I peeped, I'm sure you did too, the comparison to Breaking Bad, because that was just another show that they threw on the masses of you know, somebody in their backyard creating this laboratory and getting huge, bigger than the cartels. Just, it's just, it's just a fairy tale, people. They're the ones who make it. They're the ones who make all of these drugs for all, all of us, especially the alcohol. And, you know, it's crazy. If you watch the, the video, you'll see the dude, you know, encouraging, you know, through the promotion of his brand, he's wearing a t-shirt that says, stay tipsy. And he tells you to stay tipsy while wearing memorabilia of someone chugging alcohol. That's that's the the logo. It's somebody chugging alcohol. And you think young adults, children won't come across this page. This is a very popular YouTube page, people. This is what YouTube promotes on the masses is your own destruction. And people think that this world is, is a, a good place. And then the entity has the audacity to say, I'm not encouraging drug use. But it's kind of cool thinking I've got a little bit of drugs on the side of my drink. And they were referring to the citric acid that they put into the drink and stirred. And it looked like cocaine. And the guy laughs because that's, you know, they do that type of stuff. That's what they do. They laugh at you. You know, think about how alcohol use became, you know, synonymous with drug, with cocaine and pills over time. Alcohol use, for, especially for the rich. That was normal for people to be drunk and then be on cocaine or pills. I mean, alcohol literally is the mixing of chemicals and spirits through magical rituals. Why do you think they call it wine and spirits? I mean, what spirit are you putting into your body? You know, and I wanted to look into that because there's, you know, there's a lot of mythological creatures and stuff and deities but the ones that I came across was Dionysus, Bacchus, Greco-Roman, and this was from Greco-Roman mythology. And this was the god of the vine, the grape harvest, wine making, wine, fertility, ritual madness, religious ecstasy, the arts, and the theater. And when you look at the photo, it looked like a transgender to me, straight up. You know, Surf has been breaking down a lot of the history how They've been doing the transgender thing for a long time in history. And I looked at Wikipedia's list of deities of wine and beer. So I'll go through a small list of these deities. If you really don't believe that this is tied to mythology and idol worship. So we can start with 
Abuntia, the Roman goddess of abundance. Akan, the Mayan god of alcohol. Octrotoptes, one of Dionysus' companions and a drinker of unmixed wine. Bacchus, Roman god of wine. Bes, Egyptian god of pro protector of the home and patron of beer brewers. Ba Maju is a Hausa spirit of drunkness. Saint Brigid, the patron saint of brewing. Dionysus, Greek god of wine, usually identified with the Roman Bacchus. Du Kang, Chinese sage of wine, inventor of wine, and patron to the alcohol industry. Inari Shinto, the god-slash-goddess of sake. Li Bai, Chinese god of wine and sage of poetry. I mean, this is, this is everywhere, people. Ogon, Yoruba-slash-West African-slash-Voodoo god of rum. You hear that? Voodoo god of rum. Siduri, wise Mesopotamian female divinity of beer and wine. Varuni, Hindu goddess of wine. And this one's interesting. Tenet, Egyptian goddess of childbirth and beer. So how does how does childbirth and beer come in hand? Why does that connect to people? Think about all the people who, who drink while pregnant. And you know, it was interesting how the guy at the end of the video goes, I used to hate chemistry, but now I look at chemistry differently. Because he knows that this alcohol is just made up in a lab to destroy you. You know, they are admitting to running experiments on humanity in order to figure out the best ways to poison the masses. And alcohol is definitely one of the most successful poisons that they ever come up with. And we know alcohol is promoted in every way imaginable. You can't deny it. You know, all of the indoctrination systems promote it. Think about the education system. It amps people up to be excited for their 21st birthday. Even though most people always drink way beforehand. Think about the financial system. You got your Vegas. You know, you go to Vegas, you go, you go and try to gamble. And chances are you'll get a free drink. Or multiple free drinks. You know, you have collect people who are collectors of wine. You know, imports and expensive alcohol. And you got to understand that the rich love their alcohol. A lot of them do. Even just common folks, not just the rich, but I'm saying the collectors who spend a lot of money on it. Think about the government. It's constantly is promoting it, but then acts as if they're trying to save your life. What do you I mean? Come on. The healthcare system. I mean, think about the huge lie they gave to you about, you know, a glass of red wine a night. It's good for heart health. <laughs> it's evil, man. Think about religion. Think about Jesus turning water into wine. What about all the Israelite feast days? Oh, yeah, you best believe. They love their wine. They love their alcohol. They love their celebrations or holy days or their holidays. It's no different than the church when they have you drink the blood of Jesus. Here, here eat the body. Here, here's the blood. Here's the wine. And think about all the celebrities who push alcohol onto the masses through their fake brands.
you know, I'm going to go through a quick list. And it's not like all of these alcohol brands survived or are still popular, but they were alcohol brands at one point. These were these were celebrities who had brands or still have them. So you have ACDC, Justin Timberlake, Drew Barrymore, Hanson, the group, Ryan Reynolds, David Beckham, Ludacris, Sean Combs, 50 Cent, Danny DeVito, Kenny Chesney, Bon Jovi, Marilyn Manson, Willie Nelson, Dan Aykroyd, Dave Matthews, Fergie, CeeLo Green, Pitbull, The Rock, Lil Wayne, and Birdman. And I don't know if I miss Rick Ross, but that's another one as well. So you got to understand the long-reaching arm of alcohol. And I mean, as well as tobacco, but alcohol, think about all the deaths it caused, all the impairments, the slight use of judgment. Not even slight, sometimes in most cases extreme. You're not yourself. And for me, in a personal level, alcohol definitely was a gateway drug for me. I drank before I even smoked marijuana. I was that friend who used to give my friends a little bit of grief. You know, I was trolling them, but I was actually serious. I remember my friend group back in, you know, junior high. They were drinking at the early age of seventh grade, people. They'd call it scootering. You know, they obviously got the booze from older siblings or older people. They pay a little extra or they got it from their parents. You know how many times we would steal alcohol from my friend's parents? Who would have like a wine cellar or alcohol cellar and we would just go in there, you know, look for, you know, usually vodka and then take some and fill it up with water and then fill up our vodka, fill up water bottles with vodka, take it to friends' houses, all that stuff. We did whatever we had to do, people, to get alcohol. We We were addicted. And I remember... I was all against all that stuff, even smoking, until, you know, after my parents divorced and I made the wrong decision of, you know, living for my friends instead of trying to heal. And there's nothing wrong with the memories I had of my friends. I love all, I love my friends. I love all the memories we made. I learned a lot from them. But in that case, I went down the wrong path, which led to a lot of setbacks in my life. And alcohol has destroyed me in so many ways. You know, I've never opened up about it, but I almost, I overdosed. It wasn't just alcohol. This was after I started, you know, smoking weed. I even, you know, have tried mushrooms twice in my life, but that wasn't until college. I had done weed primarily and then morning glories, which comes from a, a plant. It's similar to like a, it's like a, you get like a, a psychedelic reaction to it. And that was when I was heavily into, you know, more of like, Pink Floyd and like learning like I just had a lot of interest back then and I was definitely easily influenced through frequencies and music and I was brainwashed I was a young adult at that time my first drink I think I was 15 think about that brain not even developed I'm drinking but I remember it was either a year or two after I first started drinking one of my best friends at the time and he was on my basketball team you know, we had a huge bond when it came to music. We were obsessed with Tupac, Lil Wayne, you know, Joel Santana, all that type of music. Biggie, Outkast. We would listen to music for hours. We'd roll around in his car 
and he'd smoke me up and we'd just chill and listen to music to two, three, four, five in the morning. If I was at a friend's sleepover, he'd come through and, you know, he didn't usually stay at people's houses to sleep over, but he would get hammered and drive home all the time. I know so many people who drove home drunk. I was idiotic enough to get behind, get in the car with people who would drink. I myself never dr- drove drunk in high school. I didn't have a car. And I also had enough common sense not to do it. But I remember he started getting into, you know, in high school, he obviously was in a dark place and he started getting into harder drugs such as cocaine and pills. And I remember I was like shaming him, not in like a negative way, but it was like, yo, bro, like, what are you doing? I was like, what's going on? Why are my friends doing all these drugs? You know, looking back, I was kind of a hypocrite because it's not, like, it's not like I was completely clean. If I was sober, then that would have made sense to say that. But I remember witnessing firsthand him start, you know, using these drugs, even at parties. Just like it wouldn't even be like we wouldn't even really be doing anything. We would just be hanging out and friends would bust out like Coke or like start, you know, on top of the alcohol they're drinking. And then pills started, you know, moving around, you know, the suburbs. And I remember he got a hold of Valium. And if anybody knows a, if anybody knows Valium, Valium is essentially like a horse tranquilizer. And one one time he came to my house and I was having a house party, right? And I was already drunk at this point. And I ended up taking a Valium at, that he offered me. And I don't remember anything after that at all. And I remember waking up in the hospital with my family looking at me. <laughs> You know, it's probably one of the most surreal feelings of my life. Just seeing the pain I caused my family, the hurt I caused them, the confusion. You know, they almost lost, they almost, my, my parents almost lost a son. My, my brother almost lost a sibling. It was an incredibly selfish decision I made and I'm not proud of it. But that was a hard time in my life. That was through my parents' divorce and I was acting out. And I remember after that happened and all my friends checked up on me, I ended up going out the next day and hanging out with my friends like it was nothing. I remember specifically going to one of my friend's houses and we were hanging out in his, his cul-de-sac playing catch. <laughs> like that's how nonchalant I was about potentially overdosing and dying people. You know, I don't know all the details because I don't know if I got my stomach pumped or like I just needed fluids. Don't really want to go back to that chapter in my life. But what's really dark about the story is how things ended up for my buddy. You know, a couple of years after college, all of us, you know, were in the rat race, nine to five. You know, him and I kind of lost touch. We always had mutual respect. And sometimes we'd meet up and smoke or listen to music, but we kind of drifted away. Right. And I remember getting the news that he overdosed, not overdosed, but he had a stroke. And I remember just how much that tore me up and how much guilt I felt and how much pain I felt from losing my friend. And it hurts me to this day to even talk about it. I don't really talk about this with anyone, to be honest. Very few people I've ever talked to this about with, you know, and it hurts me even thinking about it because I wish I could have done something to help him. I really do. And I miss him. And I remember he had a stroke and he, he eventually died. You know, I think they had to hook him up to a machine. I don't know if he fell into a coma. A lot of that time period, I kind of blacked out. You know what I'm saying? I didn't really want to face that part of my life. And he wasn't the only friend that I lost to overdoses. You know, 
another one was a somebody I grew up with. We used to be on the same bus, used to ride the same route, used to have sleepovers together. I mean, we grew apart in high school. We always had mutual respect because I was always friends with all different types of groups. But I remember we grew apart and he later on in life, he OD'd and I never I heard he died, but I never wanted to know the story because I knew deep down what it was. And a mutual friend of mine basically told me I even told a friend, don't tell me how he died. Like, I don't want to know. And he still told me he said it was drugs. And, you know, that type of stuff, man, sticks with you and it haunts you. And, you know, may they rest in peace like both of them, because they didn't get to see 30 even. You know, at least the first friend didn't get to see 30. Second friend was in his early 30s. Second friend had a son, a, a wife, you know, and it's painful talking about these things, but I have to be honest and transparent with you because I've had a checkered past and I've had to go through a lot to get to where I am right now. I'm not by any means perfect, you know, and it, it, it saddens me to think about the lives lost to something like this and how it's promoted to us so open so willy-nilly see it in commercials all the time glorified see it in you know sports all the time award shows all the time it's literally everywhere people can't go anywhere it's on billboards it's on buses it's everywhere you know you got liquor stores connected to grocery stores that's common now we got to be honest with ourselves about what these things do to us and alcohol is definitely one of the most sinister drugs of all time. And so we're going to transition over to the dark truth behind synthetic drugs and how these entities push these onto the masses. And before I forget, I just want to say much love and respect to my friends, you know, the homegirls and guys who helped me that night when I did take that Valium and drink and they potentially saved my life. I mean, they more than likely did. So, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful for that because there's a reason why, you know, I'm here and it's good to have friends like that that care about you. So that's why it's hard for me to know that the buddy that I grew up with playing sports and loving hip hop and, you know, all of these things, having a close connection, talking about life, talking about our traumas. He was one of the few people I could open up to in that level. And then to lose him a few years later, is just tough. It was, just, it's not something that I like to think about, to be honest at all. Cause anytime I think about it, it's just, it brings up bad memories. It really brings up a lot of skeletons in my closet that, I had to face and alcohol has always been an issue in my life you know until I started being more serious about knowing thyself and knowing the most high and I started getting real with myself and it's been over it's been a year since I've had a glass of wine or a sip of wine it's February of 2021 was the last time I had wine and it's been over two years well over two years since I've had beer or hard alcohol and it's by far the best decision I've ever made in my life one of the best decisions it's ultimately helped shape the way I think 
the way I perceive things and I know that my brain is healing my my, my body my mind my soul is healing from the years of abuse because like I said my first drink was at around 15 16 years old I didn't end up giving it up until I was what 32 no 31 32 that's half of my life people and I'm not saying I drank every day and for me, I, I'm thankful that the Most High always gave me a strong willpower because I did quit cold turkey. You can ask my lady, we both quit cold turkey. I've been able to have willpower to quit things cold turkey, and not a lot of people have that. And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm beyond anyone who's addicted. No, I could very well have been addicted. All it would have taken was an extra drink or two, you know, an extra f night or two during the week that I wanted to drink. Or on the weekend, that's all it really would have taken. It would have taken, you know, some type of trauma for me to dive deeper into the bottle. Because anyone who knows me knows that I have a very checkered past when it comes to alcohol. I've done, I've had issues with police. I've been in, in situations with fights. You know, just, you know, relationships with, like, females. Like, not going the way because we were intoxicated. Like, it's very harmful, people. I've seen some of my closest friends get DWIs and it completely change their lives because of it. You know, it's not something that I take lightly. And it's something that is just so pushed on the masses that it needs to be talked about. But let's transition over to the topic of synthetic drugs and what that entails. According to the Lancet.com article entitled, The New Danger of Synthetic Drugs, written by Carrie Arnold and published on July 6, 2013. A wave of novel drugs designed by chemists has traveled around the world, and policymakers have struggled to keep up with the threat. Carrie Arnold investigates. And you notice how they say designed by chemists? How many p random chemists do you know, people? I just want to know. Because they like to sell you the notion of, you know, some rando making it. They, they, they give you a show like Breaking Bad and tell you, oh, Walter White, what was, he, what was his position? Like a teacher or something? Like a normal everyday teacher or whatever his job was? And then he turns into, you know, this guy who's selling methamphetamine? But ask yourself, how many chemists do you know, realistically? article continues with 17 year old henry kwan died this june after jumping off a balcony the teen from sydney australia had taken a synthetic form of the hallucinogenic hallucinogen lsd and thought he could fly it's the highest profile case of death following the use of a synthetic drug the drugs which are generally created in a laboratory as derivatives and analogs of apparent drug like cathoin or cannabis have shown a startling rise in popularity over the past few years to become some of the most common misused substances. Governments around the world are responding to the growing threat of synthetic drugs by banning their import, sale, and use. The problem, experts say, is that the laws are frequently on the side of the chemists developing these drugs. One small tweak a singular molecular change and an illegal synthetic drug can suddenly become legal again. You see that, people? 
increasing usage of these so-called legal highs combined with an awareness of acute and chronic health effects has left drug enforcement officials with knowledge of these drugs dangers but no real way to ban them but a few new ways of conceiving drug laws might start to have an effect on the ease with which these drugs can be found The problem of new synthetic drugs is reflected in the UN Drug Office's 2013 annual report released last week and the 2013 European Motoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction annual report released in June. The European Union seized 73 new types of synthetic drugs in 2012 compared with just 49 in 2011. And it brings me back to the time that I was in college. And I remember seeing a weird change. I remember I started seeing places selling, you know, what they called K2. And I believe it was a K2 weed. It was like fake weed, synthetic weed. And places started selling bath salts. And I'm sure many of you understand what I'm talking about with the bath salts. And how, do, how that became so prevalent with you know especially college age kids and now it's coming to think about it that they aimed that at college age people you know i remember witnessing my friends we started i've tried the k2 weed like maybe two or three times never liked it now we thought it was too it was way too much chemicals way too much i never liked it and bath salts i never tried bath salts but i remember some of my buddies trying that stuff and I think they went on like a, a couple day binge because they ended up buying a lot of it as like a joke. And they lived together and I remember hanging out because I was within walking distance of where they lived. And we were all hanging out. And I remember after like they were on like day three or something like that, I remember one of my, my buddies like just the look on his face, it was just sheer anxiety and discomfort and what seemed like, you know, a depressed mood. And I remember they he admitted to me like he got pretty down on that stuff. And they they said they never I don't think they ever tried bath salts again after that. Cuz clearly something had happened. It's it's interesting people. So of course these governments can have these so-called chemists scoot around, you know, these laws and change, you know, the molecular, you know, integrity or whatever. And look at the, the, what they're trying to sell you. This is such BS. Entrepreneurs are co combining through the scientific and patent literature and picking the substances that aren't controlled by existing laws. They're having them manufactured in countries such as China or India and then ship them to the EU or the USA where they're, they're processed and packaged in a legal high, into a legal high. So even if, you, even if you believe that, even if there is some truth to that, who was the one who created the derivative? Who was the one who started creating the drugs? It was the government. They, they told you that they created and distributed LSD and they even gave it to unsuspecting victims. So what makes you think that they're not, they haven't created every other chemical compound imaginable? These synthetic drugs fall into three broad categories. Synthetic cantonines, known as commercially as bath salts. Synthetic cannabinoids, known as spice or incense. And synthetic amphetamine-like drugs. The cantonines and amphetamines are both stimulants and have similar effects. 
The most common signs of use are dilated pupils, hypertension, hyperventilation, paranoia, agitation, and hyperthemia. Synthetic can cannabinoids have many of the same sides as, a tr uh, as well as tremors and seizures. You hear that, people? So, I mean, this was just another way for the government to essentially experiment on the people. 100% experiment on us. And I remember the growth of drugs when I was growing up in high school. And I remember one of my buddies, he used to sell a lot of stuff. He used to have carried in a briefcase. He, at any given point, I remember at one point in time, he had access to marijuana. He had access to legitimate opium. He had access to LSD, acid. He had access to, I know there's more I'm forgetting, 2CB. So if you know anything about 2CB, I would recommend looking it up. He had access to mushrooms. He had access to hash. And of course, alcohol. I mean, that was the given. But this was like normal for us people. For, for me, if I really wanted to, it was like Baskin Robbins. There's so many various drugs that could be manipulated or used just from the people I knew. And so think about in today's day and age, in the, in, in the more technologically advanced age. Yeah, it's, it's pretty deep. And I remember witnessing two of my best friends taking 2CB and being at their house and just witnessing what happened. I wouldn't say anything like out of the norm happened other than, you know, just uh, them tripping on it. But I definitely, def definitely noticed the change, especially the next day when I saw one of them to smoke. He was just a kind of a little bit, a little bit just, I don't know if he was like freaked out, but he was a little apprehensive when we were just having our normal smoke session. And this is no knock on my friends. I'm not calling them idiots. I experimented with stuff. We were young. We were young and dumb. <laughs> you know, we wanted to pass the time. We hated going to school. We knew it was BS. We just wanted to hang out and live life. So a lot of us had that extra time. A lot of us, one of my buddy's parents were rarely ever home. They had access to an RV. So they were pretty much gone like almost every other weekend. I'm not kidding you. So at any given time, if there wasn't a sleepover at my house or my buddy's house, like, or we would go to my buddy's house. We would transition between his house or my house. We'd always have parties. Always have parties. And that's what we did as kids. But I couldn't even imagine the kids of today, man. Oh my gosh, I couldn't even imagine. So let's look at the dark truth behind how these world governments come up with deadly drugs, even new deadly drugs, new epidemics, and then push them onto the masses and then blame them on so-called drug dealers. Like I said, it's the Hegelian dialectic, no different than what they give you in the war on drugs. So we're going to transition over to an audio excerpt from the BBC news video entitled Fentanyl, the synthetic opioid being bought on Darknet, BBC News, published on February 6, 2018. <laughs> It looks like chemical warfare, but this is a police raid on a drug dealer who was selling fentanyl over the internet from his home. Kyle Enos has now been sentenced to eight years in prison. Serious time.
for a serious drug which has taken lives up and down the country. Robert was six foot five by two inches wide. Hi guys. <laughs> he was the kindest, gentlest person in the world. Full of life, full of promise. But when 18-year-old Robert Fraser went to buy cannabis, the dealer gave him something new, something different, something deadly. I got a phone call from my ex-husband to say that he'd just walked in and found Robert dead in bed. And I just remember thinking he hasn't said that. He can't have said that. It's not true. Robert knew nothing about fentanyl, a synthetic opioid drug which users snort, swallow or inject. It's related to heroin, but can be thousands of times more powerful. Fentanyl's a killer, and the drug dealers are playing Russian roulette with our lives. They give our children drugs, and our ch my child died from it. Dealing with fentanyl is a game-changer for the police and emergency services, and in this government-licensed lab. It can be absorbed by the skin, so we just don't want any, any risk. They've been trained to be super careful because just a few grains of fentanyl can kill. So it's powerful and cheap, and for dealers, that means big profits. They've seen it all here, heroin, cocaine, crystal meth, but nothing like this. Fentanyl's uh, just a different category of drug altogether, and the you know, potential harm they could cause is just uh, way above anything we've had in the past. But where is fentanyl coming from? The BBC is undercovering China on the trail of the suppliers. And so a meeting with a laboratory boss and his translator. Let's talk business. So one kg of fentanyl. China has banned production of some types of fentanyl, but labs can work around the law by making small changes in the fentanyl molecule. And they're happy to ship the drug anywhere in the world. Price is 2,000 and uh, 600. Within minutes, we are being offered a deal. The BBC bought no drugs, but what's clear is that fentanyl is on sale to anyone with the money to buy. This one's very powerful. Powerful. Very strong. Uh, yes, yes, very strong. Can you send this to England? Uh, yes, yes, England. From China to Britain. UK drug dealers get wholesale deliveries, then break them down to sell on the internet. Really, it looks much like any other sort of online marketplace. Jamie Bartlett is an author who writes about the so-called darknet, a hidden and unregulated corner of the internet. But you have cannabis, ecstasy, opioids, psychedelics, steroids and so on. 408 different offerings of fentanyl on this site alone. Yeah. Fentanyl is a highly dangerous substance, and carfentanyl, an elephant tranquilizer, is still more deadly. It makes all of these products that were never within reach, especially of young people, um, far more easy to get than ever before. In Teesside alone over the past year, at least six deaths have been linked to the drug. Kenny was lucky not to be the seventh. Ended up using what I thought was heroin. And, um... Turns out it wasn't. What was it? It was fentanyl or car fentanyl. I'm not too sure. Kenny has had a history of drug abuse, but overdosed on fentanyl. Luckily, he was in the Moses Project drop-in centre with the antidote nearby. Overdose. That's as much as I can remember. I injected it and overdose. Yeah, I was dead. Just seen red. It was like blood was 
covering my eyes. The spike of deaths across northeast England put fentanyl firmly on the radar of the National Crime Agency. They know the drug is taking thousands of lives in America and are determined to stop it here. The NCA has prioritised the threat from fentanyl, its analogues, back in April last year and it's still priority today. So we have a number of officers working solely on that threat. Michelle knows the cost of fentanyl, how it took Robert's life, what it does to families. People are sitting in their bedrooms clicking a button and getting it. Why? How? In the world I grew up in wasn't like that. And I don't want that future for my little lad either. For my surviving little lad. Michelle is now a campaigner, determined to make us all aware of the dangers of fentanyl. How easy it is to get, how easily it kills. Jeremy Cook, BBC News. So, of course, they're going to give you, you know, this new drug that just came up on the scene out of nowhere, you know, created by basement chemist or backyard chemist. And the government has no idea. I mean, think about how convenient it is to also blame it on China. I mean, if you really believe the BBC, you know, went undercover and found a trafficker in China and went to China and made an exchange then you're you're completely you're completely fooled by television that's just a show that's a way to mock the people they know exactly where fentanyl came from because the government created fentanyl through scientists it wasn't some random person you you can't convince me that it was somebody in their backyard who took it who made it and think about how convenient it is for these entities knowing that fentanyl can be absorbed by the skin. That a tiny amount, did they say a gram or something, could kill you. And they mentioned it's powerful and cheap. And they said for dealers that means big profit. Come on now. For dealers? I'm not saying people don't cut or lace their drugs with fentanyl. What I'm saying is that they didn't create the fentanyl to begin with. The government gave them an option to, hey, well, I can save a little bit of money. If I'm going to sell cocaine, might as well lace it with fentanyl. If I'm going to sell this, I might as well lace it. You got to be, you got to start thinking outside the box of what they're telling you. I mean, how, I mean, think about it this way. How often would some basement or backyard chemist, you know, drug dealer, how often would they really want to deal with fentanyl if, you know, something as small as a gram could kill them? You think they're really going to risk it that far? I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying what's the, the vast majority? You really believe that? And I'm also not claiming you can't buy drugs in line. But how many of these counts are real random people? You know, I myself have never been on the dark web, so I'm not going to confirm it to be true or not. I wouldn't be surprised at what you can get on the internet. But you got to ask yourself, why in the world are all these so-called dark web sites still available? You're telling me that the government has no way of intercepting these and taking these websites down? When they're claiming that, oh, Russia could take down the power grid, they have all these cyber attacks... So basically, they're telling you that governments have this technology. So why in the world would there be a so-called 
you know, black market for this on the internet, on the dark web. When the government controls the internet, even though they tell you they don't control the internet, they control the internet. Who controls the grid is going to control the internet. Who controls the power supply is going to control the internet, whether you like it or not. And think about all the celebrities they gave you that so-called overdosed on fentanyl. And really, it was just a mockery to the people who actually died from fentanyl. I mean, they gave you a Mac Miller, a Prince, a Lil Peep, a Michael K. Williams, a Tom Petty. All tied to fentanyl in some way, shape, or form. And I had read from the CDC estimates, there's an article that fentanyl is 80 times as potent as morphine and hundreds of times more potent than heroin. Classified as a Schedule II drug by the federal government, its medical uses are typically pain management following surgery for a chronic pain. So if it's 80 times more potent than morphine and 100 times more potent than heroin, why in the world is it only a Schedule II people? If it can be absorbed through the skin and it's highly dangerous, why is it not a Schedule I in your eyes? And now you're saying it's used for surgeries? Of course they're going to try to say it's used for... Oh, it's got, a, it's got a medical use to it, right? And, you know, I came across even an article from foodnews.com. And it was entitled, Fentanyl Overdoses Become Number One Cause of Death Among U.S. Adults Age 18 to 45, a National Emergency written by Audrey Kanklin and published on December 16, 2021. So this was a few months ago, people. So the number one cause of death, people. Let's, let's read a little bit. Fentanyl overdoses have surged to the leading cause of death for adults between the ages of 18 and 45, according to an analysis of U.S. government data. Between 2000 and 2021, nearly 79,000 people between... 18 and 45 years old, which is 37,208 in 2020 and 41,587 in 2021, died of fentanyl overdoses. The data analysis from Opioid Awareness Organization Families Against Fentanyl shows. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that can be deadly even in very small amounts and other drugs, including heroin, meth, and marijuana, can be laced with the dangerous drug. Mexico and China are the primary sources for the flow of fentanyl into the United States, according to the Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA. And so that's what they get you with these countries. Oh, it's China's fault. Oh, it's this, 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 you know, country's fault. But the fact of the matter is people are dying from something that the government created. Think about that. 79,000 people in, uh, what was that, a one year? Yeah, between 2020 and 2021. 79,000 people, people, between 18 and 45. Think how many generations that wipes out. Think how many people have babies between the ages of 18 to 45. A lot. Think how many lives that destroys. It's all by design, people. Make no mistake. And let's look at the dark truth behind the Hegelian dialectic being used on the masses in plain sight and how they mock us how it's always problem, reaction, solution, or order out of chaos. According to the f 
5280.com article entitled why you should consider carrying narcon written on written by fiona murphy and published on march 2nd 2022 Amid an unprecedented rise in opioid-related deaths, Denver recently launched a program to provide residents with free Narcon and fentanyl testing strips. In her job as the head of RFO and Jefferson County Chapter of Young People in Recovery, an organization that offers support for people struggling with substance abuse issues, Corrine Broden deals with someone experiencing an opioid overdose almost daily. In the fall of 2020, however, she was taken by complete surprise when she got a call that her mother had overdosed. My mom had gone to the dentist and, she, and got a prescription for Percocet because she got a tooth pulled. Braden says, she followed the instructions of the dentist, took the Percocet, and in the car home, she overdosed. Paramedics rushed to the scene and her mother's life was saved by naloxone, a chemical most widely used as a nasal spray called Narcon which reverses the effects of an opioid overdose. People often get prescribed pain pills, Braden says. It's a shock to our system, and an overdose can happen to anyone. The key is to bring Narcon home. <laughs> so the key isn't to question the Percocet that your mom took or the drugs being pushed onto you and other people through various re reasons and ways, but it's now to carry on with you another substance to offset to offset another substance so what does narcon do to you that's what i want to know since 2017 denver has experienced a record-breaking number of opioid overdoses between 2019 and 2020 the number of overdose deaths involving fentanyl a synthetic opioid that is 50 times stronger than heroin has been detected in cocaine heroin ecstasy methamphetamine and prescription drugs across the metro area more than doubled in this past year nearly 2,000 coloradians died of fentanyl overdoses which is significantly higher total than the previous two years so they give you the fentanyl it causes a stir they they raise awareness and then they give you the narcon a nasal spray what's what's in the narcon people i, I just want to know because that's not normal You know, they're gonna tell you that oh it's just you know it's, it's harmless it's a nasal spray it, it, it re you know it makes sure that you know you can snap out of your overdose it, no there's always a catch with these entities there always is a catch and let's transition away from the topic of synthetic drugs or man-made drugs or government-issued drugs and let's transition over to another aspect of drugs that many people are not willing to admit and we're going to transition over to an, the audio excerpt from the cancer wisdom tv video entitled big pharma history how john d rockefeller created western medicine published on november 5th 2021 We have an evil and corrupt medical system. You might believe that the Western medicine that we have today 
always existed, but it's only about 100 years old. The one you can thank is John D. Rockefeller. He was an oil billionaire that became the richest man in the United States. In 1863, he opened his first oil refinery in Cleveland. Rockefeller believed that competition was sin and that he needed to eliminate the competition. Therefore, he started to buy every oil refinery that he could find in Cleveland, and within two years, he owned most of them. Over a decade later, his company Standard Oil owned most oil refineries in the United States. His control over the oil market created the first American monopoly. The government didn't like this, so they forced his company to split into smaller companies. Because of Rockefeller's greed, not many people liked him. He wanted to fix his reputation, but at the same time earn even more money. Then he found a brilliant solution. Rockefeller found out that there was a way to use his oil to create drugs. His oil was only worth about a nickel per gallon, but if he used his oil to create drugs, he could earn millions of dollars per gallon. In order for him to succeed with his plan, he bought the German company IG Farben. It was the same company that would later assist Hitler when he killed Jews. Rockefeller's biggest threat was natural health. One big problem with natural remedies was that it wasn't possible to patent them. Therefore he needed to eliminate it. The first step in the takeover of the medical system was to take over the medical schools. Rockefeller then employed a man called Abraham Flexner. His task was to make a report of the medical schools in America. Flexner was against natural health and believed that it was quackery and that hospitals needed to use allopathic scientific medicine. Flexner released his report in 1910. In his report he said that American schools should impose higher admission and graduation standards. The Congress then accepted his report and medical schools had to teach allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine is when you use drugs to treat illnesses, but don't cure them. When Rockefeller got the green light that medical schools had to teach allopathic medicine, he and the Carnegie family gave grants to medical schools. They told the medical board that they would receive money, but they had to have one representative on the board of directors. And after that, medical doctors started to treat illnesses with drugs. Rockefeller also created the American Medical Association. This organization introduced a medical licensing system. Only doctors that had a license could work as a doctor and everyone else that used natural remedies got eliminated. The Rockefellers are one of the biggest names in the eugenics movement. It's the belief that the world is overpopulated and that we need to shrink it. Rockefeller and other elite banking families believed that they were better than anybody else and that they needed to create a pure race. The eugenics movement started in America before Hitler killed Jews. It was actually the Rockefellers that introduced this concept to him and helped him kill a lot of people. The Rockefellers also started the organization Planned Parenthood. 
its aim was to reduce pregnancies in women. Bill Gates' father was once the leader of this organization, and that's the reason why Bill Gates is so involved in eugenics. The Rockefellers and other elite banking families also created the Federal Reserve. It's a central bank in America that creates money from thin air. Bankers met in secrecy in Jekyll Island, 1910. Their plan was to take over the financial system. In 1913, they got the Congress to pass a bill where the money would be created from a central bank. And with the control over the production of money, the Rockefellers and other elite families could now buy everything they wanted. The aim of Big Pharma Medicine is not to make people healthy. Instead, its goal is to make everyone sick, because you can't earn a lot of money if people are healthy. All drug companies work together as one network. The whole system can only continue if there are sick people. If people were healthy, then the whole system would collapse. You can't become healthy if you follow the corrupt system. Psychopaths created the medical system that we have today, and they still run it. Unless we don't realize this, we will continue to stay sick and never heal. It's time for you and me to learn about health and don't trust this evil cartel. Much respect to the narrator, Cancer Wisdom TV. You know, I'm going to take a look at your channel because it looks like you have a lot of good information as far as cancer and preventative measures and naturality. And the brother is completely on point. You know, with the history that they gave us, they're basically showing you how, you know, these entities, these people with money and so-called power and reach can essentially take over. A whole entire industry which we know is not the truth we know that rockefeller is essentially just a face just a puppet no different than the carnegie of his time you know the jp morgan chase of his time all of these entities that were making moves in the so-called industrial revolution and it's no different than a bill gates of today they're all puppets you got to understand that the government are the ones that are pushing these people on you because they're bloodlines. They all have a role to fulfill. Every single last one of them has a role. I broke this down in the episode of the world stage and I broke it down in the series of Hollywood. Both episodes, we talk about this. They all have a role to play and they, they do their best to play it and they deceive many people and they lead many people to the slaughter. And, you know, they're going to tell you through the history of Rockefeller, oh, he was an oil tycoon, when we know that oil is created by the government. There's no such thing as fossil fuels, people. What, you think dinosaur bones are under the ground and they're just digging up dinosaur bones that turned into liquid? When, if you, if you were playing in the dirt, right, and you happen to pour liquid onto the dirt, it's going to seep together. The, door, the dirt is going to absorb it, <laughs> plain and simple. So you, you can't sit here and tell me that there's that fossil, that old animal bones broke down over time and then there's pockets of them. It doesn't make sense. We already know animal that dinosaurs are fake. 100% fake. So they're already lying to you with the story of Rockefeller. Like, 
That puppet Rockefeller and Carnegie were used as the faces of destroying natural cures. They ended up taking things that actually would cure you and replace them with genetically modified treatments that would actually make you sicker, that would give you a chemical reaction, that would keep you in the carousel of death, the healthcare carousel. I've broken it down in the series of healthcare. I've even talked about it in the episode of germ theory. If most people just would get up off their lazy ass and actually look up Carnegie and Rockefeller and look up allopathic medicine, it's not like you have to really go far back. You know, it might take you a couple hours, but you would be able to actually connect the dots as to how sinister allopathic medicine is and how it is all one big entire money grab and a way to depopulate and how it supports eugenics and how it supports transhumanism and how it supports artificial intelligence and anything that is unnatural. And the even you know they even describe it as allopathic scientific scientific medicine. So they were basically telling universities that you know we have here the American Medical Association. We have all this money, all this reach. We can help fund your school, your programs. But not only do you need to switch over to allopathic medicine, but we need to have somebody on the board of directors. I mean, come on, people. How is that not a conflict of interest? Rockefeller by creating the american medical association which hands out licenses and only that anybody with an american 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 medical association license can be a doctor and all holistic doctors are pretty much shunned and called quack science quack healthcare even though it was working we broke it down in the latest episode of healthcare how big of a sham that was when they were actually were already curing cancer over 100 years ago curing it not treating it people i'm not talking about radiation I'm not talking about chemotherapy. I'm not talking about pills. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about natural remedies. I mean, that just pisses me off that people cannot connect the dots on this or just refuse to listen. They literally think that the healthcare industry has their best interest. <laughs> I mean, it, it goes to show his connection to Planned Parenthood, all of that. It's all for a reason, people. And let's look at some nefarious truth behind how these entities tell you what they're up to in plain sight you know these medicines that they give you are in a lot of ways derived from myth mythological and magic customs and they praise and worship deities like i told you they experiment on us with these medicines so we're going to transition over to an audio excerpt from the tedx talks video entitled could medicine of the future be made from dragon blood barney bishop TEDx, you bud, published on July 17, 2018. Komodo dragon, the name conjures images of fire-breathing creatures of myth and legend, but they're real monsters. Growing up to three meters in length and up to 90 kilograms, the Komodo dragon is the largest living lizard on the planet, and they're the apex predator on their islands. When I was a child, I was fascinated by Komodo dragons. But if you'd asked me as a graduate student in chemistry whether I would ever be researching them, I would have surely said no. But today, I'm here because my research indeed involves studying the blood of Komodo dragons. We're interested in Komodo dragons because they are 
While they're predators, they're not above taking advantage of easy meals, including carrion, which is less than freshly killed. They'll eat everything. They eat the hooves, the, the fur, and the bones. But the only thing they don't eat is the contents of the intestines, the poop. And they'll eat up to 80% of their body weight in a single feeding. A study in 2010, looking at wild dragons, identified 58 different bacterial strains in the mouths and the saliva of these wild dragons, the majority of which were predicted to be potentially pathogenic, causing disease. But the dragons themselves are unfazed by the bacteria of their saliva. This is despite the fact that many dragons have bleeding gums and they inflict bite wounds on each other, suggesting that Komodo dragons have evolved a robust immune system one that protects them from the bacteria they carry with them and the bacteria in their environment. And my question is, is how can we harness this information to benefit humanity? And why do we need this information? Antimicrobial resistance and the emergence of multi-drug and extreme drug-resistant bacteria threatens the utility of existing antibiotics, which are the cornerstone of modern medicine. Almost every aspect of modern therapy depends on the availability of effective antibiotics to prevent or treat infection. This includes the treatment of simple scratches and cuts, childbirth, surgery, and chemotherapy, we list a few. Antimicrobial resistance will impact almost all aspects of modern medical care unless we come up with new antibiotics. And hence, there's an urgent need for such new antibiotics. My collaborators and I believe that we can learn a lot from studying animals and the immune, and their immune response in protecting against infection, the mechanisms and the molecules they produce to protect themselves from pathogenic bacteria. We feel that, the, that understanding these systems can help provide inspiration for the development of new antibiotics and new therapeutic strategies. A peptide is essentially a small protein. which pro, These are molecules assembled from amino acids much like beads on a necklace. And it's those amino acids that make up the proteins and peptides that define the properties of the, pe of the protein or peptide. Antimicrobial peptides are fundamental elements of innate immunity. And innate immunity is that front line of defense against infection in higher organisms, including you and I and Komodo dragons. If that's what people consider trusting the science, then y'all can keep that science. That's junk science. That's evil, tyrannical, and wicked science. And let me break this down for you. You know, what stuck out to me was the whole mention of a Komodo dragon. And that immediately reminds me of the brothers Edgar Mendex, Surf Only the Creator, and Paul Davis, and how they've continued to expose the Yahweh dragon. And that's that's something deep that i highly recommend checking out their channels to understand if you want the spiritual side to this whole cube how this reality is set up you can understand the connection to the dragon there's a lot of mythological and esoteric connections to the dragon people and think about what the speaker mentioned about komodo dragons they'll eat everything the hooves the fur and the bones the only thing they don't eat is the content of the intestines I mean, honestly, that sounds like today's world, except most people will eat intestines. I mean, don't people eat chitlins? 
That sounds like the cannibalistic diet that they fed us. It's crazy, people. We're eating like beasts. And think about the comment he said, because this might go over a lot of people's heads. He, they dropped a lot of mockery in just that small segment I shared. And in quote, but the dragons themselves are unfazed by the bacteria in their saliva. This is despite the fact that many dragons have bleeding gums and they inflict bite wounds on each other, suggesting that Komodo dragons have evolved a robust immune system, one that protects them from bacteria they carry with them and bacteria in the environment. So a so-called animal like the Komodo dragon can protect themselves naturally from so-called bacteria, but human beings can't. That we're at a point where we have to literally put on a mask. That we have to take all of these vaccines and these antibiotics. If you actually peeped what the guy was showing, they're just stating the fact that they want to be able to have an excuse to create other antibiotics. If you know anything about antibiotics, you realize how wicked that is and how destructive that is on the human being body. No different than prescription drugs, no different than vaccines. They all do. They all wreak havoc on the body. Doesn't allow the body to do what it does naturally. So you're telling me a Komodo dragon basically can survive in the world, but a human being can't. A, a baby born into this world can't. But the Most High is going to look out for a Komodo dragon. You know, it's just sick. It's so sick. And he mentions almost every aspect of modern therapy depends on the availability of effective antibiotics to prevent or treat infection. And that's like what we've been brainwashed into is here. Here's this bandaid. Here's this cure. And let me ask you a question for all of you who still support science. Do you really want to take man-made drugs made from Komodo dragons? <laughs> I mean, do you even know what they're doing with those Komodo dragons? Think about all of the testing that they do on animals that just, just is inhumane. They're running experiments on animals, telling you out in the open, and you don't think that they're running experiments on you? It's a really naive way to look at things. And we already know that these entities want to combine man with animals and man with machines they anything to make it so that you don't have free will so that you're not a creation of the most high they'll do anything it doesn't matter because they are striving to alter us they want to alter us in any way shape and form for those who are paying attention it's pretty obvious at this point and so i wanted to point that out because i just thought that was odd seeing that. and that's a, that's on a tedx talk and you guarantee that guy got a round of applause too Huge round of applause. Breakthrough. Great job. Great work. Keep it up. Thank you. You know, you're saving lives. That's exactly what the, it's always. It's always us worshiping these idols, this science. And, you know, tell me why I came across an article. Because, the, you know, you got to understand that these entities love to use science to give them an excuse to mess with what is natural from our creator. And I came across an article from the singularityhub.com and it's entitled Psychedelics Without the Trip Could Be Healing Magic for Mental Health, written by Shelley Fan and published on February 1st, 2022. And I won't get into that. I'm going to get into that article in a different episode, but I just wanted to show you that they're even messing with natural psychedelics. You know, they're, they're like, think about what they're going to be giving to you people. It's going to be all genetically modified. 
and you know you got to understand that these entities love to poison us and then charge us for the treatments that continue to kill us they never will cure you and the carousel of health health care you're never going to be cured let's take a look at some numbers according to the gao.gov article entitled drug industry profits research and development spending and merger and acquisition deals published on december 19 2017 The amount of money people spend on prescription drugs has nearly doubled since the 1990s. Much of this increase is due to the expensive brand name drugs, but the price of some generics have also gone up. We looked into changes in the drug industry and found that pharmaceutical and biotechnology sales revenue increased from $534 billion to $775 billion between 2006 and 2015. Additionally, 67% of drug companies increased their annual profit margin during the same period, with margins up to 20% for some companies in certain years. Drug spending for research and development increased from $82 billion in 2008 to $89 billion in 2014. I mean, think about that, people. You know, I highly recommend checking out the article. I'll make sure to link it in the description if you want to get a better and a deeper understanding of where the money is going. But think about all that, people. They're telling you all those billions of dollars. What was it between 2006 six and 2015 went from 534 billion to 775 billion? And imagine what it was from 2015 to 2022 to now. Guarantee it's another 100 to 200 billion that increase. It's just it's just a money grab. It's just they don't care necessarily about the money because they own all of the the lands and everything. The money is for the low level puppets like the doctors, the pharmacists, the nurses, you know, the scientists, the people that sign up, you know, naively. But the bloodlines, they know exactly what they do. They're doing. They don't care about the money. They just want you in a perpetual state of misery. They want your body to break down to the point where you have to depend on their healthcare system, on their sciences, that you have to be constantly an, on antibiotics and you have to constantly you know, be taking prescription meds and you have to constantly injecting vaccines. That's exactly their end game. It's the Hegelian dialectic, problem, reaction, solution, also known as order out of chaos. So we're going to transition over into something pretty dark. You know, everything we discuss is pretty dark, but this is this is pretty eye opening and it's something that was shown in plain sight as usual. And let's take a look at the truth behind the pharmaceutical industry and its ties to so-called mental health. You know, like I said, the truth is always hidden in plain sight on these mainstream media channels and in formats and mediums. And we're going to transition over to an audio excerpt from the Health Impact News video entitled Dr. Irving Kirsch on 60 minutes proving placebos work as good or better than pharmaceutical drugs published on october 12 2021 the medical community is at war battling over the scientific research and writings of a psychologist named irving kirsch the fight is about antidepressants and kirsch's questioning of whether they work Kirsch's views are of vital interest to the 17 million Americans who take the drugs, including children as young as six. 
and to the pharmaceutical industry that brings in $11.3 billion a year selling them. Irving Kirsch is the associate director of the Placebo Studies Program at Harvard Medical School, and he says that his research challenges the very effectiveness of antidepressants. The difference between the effect of a placebo and the effect of an antidepressant is minimal for most people. So you're saying if they took a sugar pill, they'd have the same effect? They'd have as, almost as large an effect, and whatever difference there would be would be clinically insignificant. But people are getting better taking antidepressants. I know them. Oh, yeah. I know them. The people get better when they take the drug, but it's not the chemical ingredients of the drug that are making them better. It's largely the placebo effect. Irving Kirsch's specialty has been the study of the placebo effect, the taking of a dummy pill without any medication in it that creates an expectation of healing that is so powerful, symptoms are actually alleviated. This is the placebo response. Kirsch, who's been studying placebos for 36 years, says sugar pills can work miracles. Placebos are great for treating a number of disorders, irritable bowel syndrome, repetitive strain injuries, ulcers, Parkinson's disease. Even traumatic knee pain. In this clinical trial, some patients with osteoarthritis underwent knee surgery while others had their knees merely opened and then sewn right back up. And here's what happened. In terms of walking and climbing, the people who got the placebo actually did better Come on. than the people who got the real surgery. No. And that lasted for a year. At two years after surgery, there was no difference at all between the sur real surgery and the sham surgery. Is it all in your head? or? Well, it's not all in your head because the placebos can also affect your body. So if you take a placebo tranquilizer, you're likely to have a lowering of blood pressure and pulse rate. Placebos can decrease pain. And we know that's not all in the mind also because we can track that using neuroimaging in the brain as well. He says the doctors who prescribe the pills become part of the placebo effect. A clinician who cares, who takes the time, who listens to you, who asks questions about your condition and pays attention to what you say, that's yeah. the kind of care that can help facilitate a placebo effect. He says he got into researching the effect of antidepressants by accident. And I was interested in evaluating the size of the placebo effect. I really didn't even care about the drug effect because everybody, including me, knew it worked. I used to refer patients to get prescriptions. I didn't change the focus of my work onto looking at the drug effect until I saw the data from our first analysis. What he saw was that it almost didn't matter what kind of pill doctors gave patients. We even looked at drugs that are not considered antidepressants, tranquilizers, barbiturates, and you know what? They had the same effect as the antidepressant. Come on. Really? Kirsch was so surprised by his initial findings, he decided to do a second study using data not only from the drug company's clinical trials that had been published in medical journals, this time, he got data that weren't published, but had been submitted to the FDA, which he got through the Freedom of Information Act. These are the studies that showed no benefit of the antidepressant over the placebo. What they did is they took the more successful studies, they published most of them, they took their unsuccessful studies, and they didn't publish them. So when you did your study, you put all the trials together. That's right. You're looking at 
patients who took the real drug and patients who took the placebo, yes. did they get equally better? Or did the ones who took the pills get even a little better? If they were mildly or moderately depressed, you don't see any real difference at all. The only place where you get a clinically meaningful difference at, is at these very extreme levels of depression. Now look, psychiatrists say the drug works. Right. The drug companies and their scientists say the drug works. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe. I'd add to that, by the way, patients say the drugs Patients say the drugs And for the patients and the psychiatrists, it's clear why would they would say the drug works. They take the drug, they get better. Our data show that as well. You're just saying why they get better. That's right. And the reason they get better is not because of the chemicals in the drug. The difference between drug and placebo is very, very small and in half the studies non-existent. Kirsch and his studies have triggered a furious counterattack, mainly from psychiatrists who are lining up to defend the use of antidepressants, like Dr. Michael Thace, a professor of psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, who has been a consultant to many of the drug companies. Irving Kirsch says that, that depressants are no better than placebo for the vast majority of people with depression. The vast majority. Do you agree with that? No. No, I don't agree. Uh, I think you're confusing or he's confusing the results of studies versus what goes on in practice. He says that Kirsch's statistical analysis overlooks the benefits to individual patients. And while he agrees there's a substantial placebo effect, have you been keeping track of your depression scores? Especially for the mildly depressed, Using a different methodology, he finds that the drugs help 14% of those moderately depressed and even more for those severely depressed. Our own work indicates pretty convincingly that this is a large and meaningful effect for a subset of the patients in these studies. But even by your own numbers, more people, maybe twice as many people, are having a placebo effect than are actually being helped by the drug. That's correct in the moderate range. That's correct. And this isn't troubling to you? I wish our antidepressants were stronger. I hope we have better ones in, in the future. But uh, uh, that 14% advantage over and above the placebo is for a condition that afflicts millions of people. That represents hundreds of thousands of uh, people who are better parents, who are better workers, who are happier, and who are less likely to take their life. By now, we should have a pretty clear-cut understanding in regards to the deception and manipulation of the medical industry and what they really are up to. I mean, they're stating out in the obvious, out in the open, that they're an $11.5 billion industry. You think they really want to have that industry affected? Do you think they want to cure you if it's beneficial to them? And then they claim people are getting better taking medications? No. If you actually look at objective reality, most of the time these medications, these psychotropic drugs will destroy a person. I wouldn't even say most of the time, all the time. It just depends on the person. Everybody's body is different. So what may affect somebody right away may not affect somebody in two years down the line. But they know what they're doing. And you really think that these people get off these medications? You really, you really think that? 
and you know people who are saying oh that guy you know who's who's pushing for placebos he he's for the people i mean don't think that we didn't notice the mentioning of his 36 years studying for your three sixes we, we already know what that is that coding that they have to throw in there and to me placebos simply prove that the body was meant to heal itself that's basically how they're mocking you telling you a placebo essentially a sugar pill had the same outcome for people as a medication that's what they're telling you the mind has the ability to heal itself along with the body has the ability to heal itself we can see it all the time if you get a, a, a paper cut or a cut on your finger what happens your body heals it but yet we go and run to these entities for a magic elixir it's basically witchcraft it really is and you know like that entity mentions the first guy it, it almost didn't matter what kind of drug doctors gave patients of course it doesn't matter i mean you got to think about it these d these doctors receive kickbacks i've already broken this down in the episode of healthcare. you know how much money they receive in kickbacks You know, drug commercials always stating, you know, ask your doctor about such and such. You know, it's crazy, people, how we could we can normalize this. And he mentioned, you know, the first guy mentioned the only place where you get a clinically meaningful difference is at the very extreme levels of depression. Basically, he's stating, oh, well, the, you know, the antidepressant drugs help when somebody's like suicidal or like going crazy the reason why they think it helps is because you've numbed the person's ability to naturally feel anything basically they're burying their traumas inside of them and their body has no ability to feel it's the same trick that you, you're, you do to your body when you take caffeine you could be exhausted on one or two hours of sleep and say you go and, and take you know you go and drink caffeine or you go and have an espresso shot you're going to be awake your body you're, you're tricking your mind even though your body feels tired you're tricking your mind so that's all they're doing to you and honestly psychiatrists are some of the biggest scam artists fakers of all time and i will eventually expose them you best believe and so because the psychiatrists and scientists say that these antidepressant antidepressants work they work so you just take their word for it huh you know it's, it's crazy and let's look at the definition of placebo for those who are not aware of what they are placebo is a substance that has a positive effect as a result of a patient's perception that it is beneficial rather than as a result of a causative ingredient A usually pharmacological, pharmacologically inert preparation prescribed more for the mental relief of the patient than for its actual effect on a disorder. So, I mean, basically, they're telling you, you know, it's in your mind with these placebos. They can tell you, oh, you have anxiety. You go and take a placebo. You go talk to somebody for half an hour. You know, instead of us looking internally and knowing thyself and facing our traumas and seeking the most high we always go externally and why do you think we do that because we don't know we don't know the ways of life we don't know naturality whatsoever it's crazy it's absolutely nuts actually at this point
according to the DrAxe.com article entitled, What are Psychotropic Drugs? It's types, history, and statistics. And I just want to quickly go through this. Put simply, psychotropic drugs include any drug capable of affecting the mind, emotions, and behavior. This includes common prescription medicines, medications like lithium for bipolar disorder, SSRIs for depression, and neuroleptics for psychotic conditions like schizophrenia. The list also contains street drugs like cocaine, ecstasy, and LSD that create hallucinatory effects. So there you go. They grouped in psychotropic drugs with medications, people, prescription medications. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So you are taking drugs when you're on when you are on prescription drugs. You know how many people I know in my life that are have been on prescription drugs for like 10 plus years and they are not the same person that they were when they started, not even close. And it's not like they're just on one. One turns into two, turns into three. And these are for things that are you can heal yourself, like high blood pressure people. You're going to go on a high blood pressure medication. You're not going to go sweat it out. You're not going to stop eating meat. You're not going to start eating healthy. You're not going to start trying to get eight hours of sleep. You're not going to avoid alcohol or tobacco. All of these things would actually reverse the high blood pressure. But no, not the natural way. Let's let's take the pill. This, this is absolutely insane. That same pill that you see on the commercial that has a thousand different side effects. And they list them off like an auctioneer. Or they distract you with a nice, warm, lovey-dovey commercial with, you know, a family galloping through the mountains together after the mom or dad started taking psychotropic drugs and you think that's something positive. So let's take a look at the truth behind how all drugs are harmful and cause chemical reactions. And we're going to transition over to the audio excerpt from the Moon Bagel video entitled Funniest Drug Commercial, published on October 25th, 2009. an antidepressant, but it feels like I need some more help. Approximately two out of three people being treated for depression still have unresolved symptoms. If your antidepressant alone isn't enough, talk to your doctor. One option he may consider is adding Abilify. <laughs> Abilify is approved to treat depression in adults when added to an antidepressant. Learn more about Abilify. Call your doctor if your depression worsens or you have unusual changes in mood, behavior, or thoughts of suicide. Antidepressants can increase these in children, teens, and young adults. Elderly dementia patients taking Abilify have an increased risk of death or stroke. Call your doctor if you have high fever, stiff muscles, and confusion on Abilify, as these may be signs of a life-threatening reaction. Or uncontrollable muscle movements, as these could become permanent. High blood sugar has been reported with Abilify in medicine's life. In some cases, extreme high blood sugar can lead to coma or death. Other risks include dizziness upon standing, Decreases in white blood cells, which can be serious, seizures, impaired judgment or motor skills, or trouble swallowing. Adding Abilify has made a difference for me. Talk to your doctor about the risks and benefits of adding Abilify. This no, is this is going to be a joke. joke. It had to be. No, actually... You know, this is a prime example of why these elite bloodlines and entities believe that we deserve what's coming to us if we don't look into things. 
you know that's why they call us useless eaters because they can literally show you that in plain sight and most people wouldn't even bat an eyelash you know, think about it, though. If you actually look at the video, it's it, the commercial showcases some woman who's already on an antidepressant mentioned that she needs more help. Like, what? Like, And, you know, kudos to the guy who, who captured the video. I can't blame him for laughing. He was literally cracking up because it's like you almost can't believe it. It's, it's that crazy that people that we've been conditioned to accept this. You know, and the narrator of the commercial and the drug company stated that approximately two out of three people being treated for depression still have unresolved symptoms. So why is it that psychiatrists are pushing for antidepressants if they're telling you two out of three being treated for depression still have unresolved symptoms? So obviously it's not working. So what is the point of these antidepressant drugs? And then I, I peeped their word and usage of approximately so meaning it could be more, it could be less. It's just not accurate. It's just approximate, right? And, you know, they mention in the commercial, if your antidepressant alone isn't enough, talk to your doctor. <laughs> you know, so they recommend as an option to add Abilify. So I guess apparently you can mix and match them with Lexapro, Zoloft, Prozac, Ephazor, XR, Poxil, CR. Like, come on, people. Sounds like a pretty deadly con like concoction to me. And then the commercial mocks you even further by saying, call your doctor if your depression worsens and you have thoughts of suicide. I mean, that sounds like the absolute worst advice. Like, like ring, ring. And the doctor's like, what up? You're like, I have thoughts of suicide. Oh, well, you know, you need, I can prescribe you another one. And think about what they told you in the commercial. Antidepressants can increase these in children, teens and young adults. So I think it can increase suicide risk in children, teens, and young adults. And I remember a family member of I, like, they work in healthcare, and they usually don't work in certain units. And they were in a unit where a young girl was on suicide watch. She had been sent her from her parent to to the hospital from her parents. She was on suicide watch, but she was on multiple psychotropic antidepressant drugs, according to my family member. And my family member was shook. She was not happy. They were not happy about witnessing this because it was a young, young girl, a young patient on all these strong psychotropic drugs as if that's going to help her as if she has a future. Parents just throw her to the doctors, just sacrifice her to big pharma. It's sick, people. And think about the commercial. They're talking about life threatening reactions. Let's let's go through a sum that they just played in that commercial. Uncontrollable muscle movements that can become permanent. High blood sugar extreme high blood sugar that can lead to coma or death dizziness upon standing decreases in white blood cells which can be serious <laughs> well, come on seizures impaired judgment or motor skills trouble swallowing and then these psychiatrists these healthcare people you know these companies are going to try to push this on you and say it's okay and that was just one example of a commercial And then people, the narrator mentioned, talk to your doctor about the risk and benefits of Abilify. Are you kidding me? Talk to your doctor about the risk and benefits. You think any doctor who's receiving a kickback is going to go into all of the risk and deep dive? They're going to tell you it's rare. You know, remember to them, they're safe and highly effective. That's what they'll tell you. 
So at the end of the day, you're basically adding on another drug onto an already array of drugs. I mean, it sounds like the mindset of the people taking these boosters, in my opinion. You know, it, it, they basically told you that your magic elixir didn't work. It failed you. But now take more, take more, take more. That's insanity, people. If that's not insanity, I don't know what it is. It's absolute insanity. And people really need to grow up, honestly. And so we're going to transition over to an audio excerpt from the Self-Ownership One video entitled FDA to Remove Many Side Effects Listed in Drug Ads, published on February 18, 2014. Something you may be seeing throughout this night on your television. It's become a kind of punchline. Commercials for drugs with a never-ending list of side effects. Well, tonight, the FDA is signaling that the list is no laughing matter, and they're considering a change. Here's ABC's Lindsay Davis. Serious risks include blood clots, stroke, or heart attack. Severe liver problems, some fatal, were reported. The laundry list of a medicine's possible side effects can be so lengthy. And in rare cases, may be fatal. The list themselves may induce side effects, like making your eyes glaze over. Abnormal behaviors may include aggressiveness, agitation, hallucination, or your ears tune out. Can lead to coma or death. It's the stuff of parody, mocked on Saturday Night Live. If you notice changes in behaviors such as a powerful, overwhelming desire to kill the person you love most, call your doctor right away. Listing the side effects were part of a deal to allow the drug makers to advertise directly to consumers on TV. Now the FDA is considering shortening these lists, limiting the disclosures to those they deem serious and actionable. Severe liver problems, some fatal, were reported. They're trying to figure out if viewers are simply tuning out the side effects, including the worst harms, because the lists are just too long. So it's possible that soon, lists this long... If you develop fever or unexplained weakness or confusion, tell your doctor promptly it might be a thing of the past. Lindsay Davis, ABC News, New York. So the so-called Food and Drug Administration, you know, the word drug is in the name, so you know they peddle them, now wants to, and this was from 2014, so who knows if this was enacted, they wanted to limit the disclosure of the side effects people to so-called serious and actionable. So the ones who peddle the drugs, the ones that, that approve the drugs, the ones that work with the drug makers, the scientists, the government, the psychiatrists, the healthcare professionals can then deem, can create the guidelines and deem what is serious and actionable. And nobody thinks that's a conflict of interest. Like how do, how do people not look into this? It's absolutely mind boggling to me how this can just be out in the open. And you know it's, you're being mocked if it's on SNL, people. I mean, first and foremost, you should already know that. And these people trust the FDA. The same FDA that gave approval for the so-called life-saving vaccines, huh? This is crazy. And they obviously understand the attention span of the average person. They really do. Because if you look at these commercials, they're always family-oriented, always fun, always benevolent, like somebody's life changed. Like, they, they sell you hope. They sell you a fairy tale, just like this cube, just like this reality. 
I mean, do you really think the FDA has your best interest at hand, people? I don't know what else to say other than stay away from these drugs. Stay away from anything that's unnatural. Anything that can harm you, anything that is man-made from these entities, stay away. Stay away from their establishments. Stay away from their vaccines or antibiotics or prescription meds. Stay away from all these street drugs that they create. Do whatever you can to stay natural and healthy, and you will thrive. You don't need anything external to heal you. All that comes from internal. Of course, you're going to have to put the work in and research and learn, but that's all internal. The Most High made us so that we can live off of this earth. We're not supposed to depend on man for anything, especially these evil and wicked regimes, people. It's time for people to wake up. And I wish you all the best. And even before we close out, just remember, all drugs cause a chemical reaction. I don't care if you want to argue with me about that. It's the truth. And I wish you all the best. Peace and blessings to all of the righteous men and women of the Most High. Peace and blessings to all all of those who've been on their own narrow path of the righteous with the most high and to those who are beginning on their own narrow path of the righteous with the most high may the most High continue to bliss you protect you guide you and provide you with wisdom knowledge and understanding may your life be fulfilled and may you have peace of mind all of your days along with your family lineage all praises to the most high and the Most High only. Peace.